had to have a discussion with the, the department and there was an indication that the department is ready to brief us today. Uh, because today we're scheduled to receive a briefing from Vets University as well as uh, the Vets University Council and Management and the Student Leadership. So uh, we had to improvise. Uh, I forgot to welcome the leadership of Vets if it's on the platform already. Uh, we had to improvise and I think I must apologize because Initially, we were supposed to have DSI briefing us on the research issues, the research spent, uh, and then later on, have uh, the University of Vets and the SRC engaging with us. But we had to significantly adjust our program, uh, given the fact that some of the issues that we wanted to deal with uh, with Vets are already national issues. Uh, some of them may be beyond the, <clears throat> the, the, the possibilities of being resolved at an institutional level. So they are more of a national issues that they needed to be engaged with the minister. So uh, we must apologize to them, uh, but they are here, they will be giving us a briefing, so it's just going to be a bit limited as opposed to being given um, uh, more than 30 minutes. This time uh, we will ask that their presentation be brief so that we can accommodate as many stakeholders as possible. The issues have been on the space. Uh, they've been occupying the imagination of the of the nation, uh, the issues in higher education, and I can, uh, <clears throat> and I know that the minister has been uh, almost everywhere uh, trying to attend to these uh, challenges of student protest in the sector. Now, we have received an apology from the minister that he will be with us up to 10 o'clock and then after that, he will be joining a cabinet. So let me just take this opportunity then and hand over to the minister to, uh, to talk to us. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair uh, Philima Pulani. Uh, and also to greet all the honorable members and other participants in this important portfolio committee meeting. Yeah, I should have, let me apologize, I should have called you on the side to request that I would, I would really request that I be released way before 10, maybe at the latest 25 to 10. And I will leave the deputy minister who will be able to engage with everything. It's not because I don't want to engage, but I wanted to talk to you offline that I'm required to present a report to a very important meeting at 10 on these matters. And I will just need to get about 20 to 25 minutes to finalize it. 
And it's a crucial meeting in trying to resolve the problems that are before us. I hope you will understand, Chair, and all the members of the Portfolio Committee. During these times, I would have preferred to have sat through the Portfolio Committee right through. So, Chair, what I'm going to do then is just to tell you to try and cut to the chase. Actually, just to brief the committee on where we are and not talk about a whole lot of other things, but just where are we? Where do we see the problem? What progress have we made so far? And what are the next steps? And then leave you with that. The DM will then be able to to deal with the, the other matters uh, that are there. Maybe you can allow or yourself one or two comments before I leave. But I really am begging for your indulgence on this call. Now, Chair, what I just want to, to say, you know, is that sometimes when emotions are high, as is understandably so during times of protests, demands and all that, sometimes the facts get buried or even twisted sometimes in the public space. That's why I would just like to start by reminding ourselves of Section 29.1 of the Constitution so that also you understand what I'm going to be reporting about here before I post my, my, my short presentation. Section 29 of the one of the constitution, that's the education clause. 29.1 says everyone has the right, A, to a basic education, including adult basic education, and B, to further education, which the state, through reasonable measures, must make progressively available and accessible. Maybe if I repeat that, a right to further education, which the state through reasonable measures must make progressively available and accessible. I'm, 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 I'm anchoring what I'm going to say deliberately on this so that we, 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 we all remind ourselves, of course, I'm aware that you as members may be, you are aware of this, not that maybe you are, but also when we are in the portfolio committee, we are also at the same time talking to the general public. Now, my first part of my short input then, it's a few slides. If perhaps uh, Dr. Tandy Lewin can, can load them for me, just to say, where are we in these reasonable measures and progressive implementation. In other words, our, our, our clause in the Constitution on education is both prescriptive and aspirational. Now, if we can go to the next slide, I just want to show this slide, Chair, which is one of the most important slides as a report back to yourselves as the Portfolio Committee and to the country as to how government has sought to implement what is contained in section 29.1 of the constitution. 
If you look at this bar graph, it just starts, it doesn't go before that. 2014, 2015 financial year, we spent, we spent 5.9 billion rands on NESFAS, which is our major instrument in implementing that clause of the constitution. Now, if you go to where we are now, it's more than six-fold increase within a six-year period. NESFAS grown from just under 6 billion to 34 billion rands. That's 2020-2021. The 2021-2022 figure is likely to reach about 42 billion rands. That's a huge and enormous increase. Sometimes when we have difficulties, these advances tend to be clouded. And I think that it's important that we indicate this. It's one of the most important slides. It's very striking on the amount of money. In particular, if you notice the growth between 2018-2019 financial year and the 2020 to 2021 financial year, it's from 20 billion to 34 billion in two years. This is just universities, by the way. In two years, in two years, you have a 14 billion rents growth. Next slide. Now, just focusing on university students, because TVET is somewhat different. This is what NESFAS, the Bursary Scheme, covers. It's fully subsidized tuition fees for all NESFAS students. And by the way, unlike before 2018, this is a bursary that is no longer paid back. It's free, in other words. With made up also of a learning materials allowance of 52,000, sorry, 5,200 for all students under this DHET NESFAS bursary scheme. Fully subsidized accommodation for contact students in university owned, leased, or private accredited accommodation. A living allowance of 15,000 rands for contact students, inclusive of the 2,900 incidental allowance. Incidental allowance for those who live in catering residences, in other words, where milk costs are covered. And distance education students, which is UNISA students, who carry an equivalent full-time cost load, they get 2,900 in incidental allowance. Transport allowance for students at home, it's seven and a half thousand. Now, Tivet College is slightly separate, slightly different. Next slide. Slide four, please. Right. It's a few slides, Chair, that I just want because I think that in, in reporting back on where we are now. As a result of, I would say, three main reasons, we have had a shortfall in NESFAS for 2021 academic year. 
Now, what were the reasons? Three main reasons for the shortfall. First one is the continuing impact of budget cuts on all government departments, including ours. The second impact has been as a result of COVID-19. resulting in an extended academic year. We continued paying NESFAS allowances even at alert levels five and four uh, of our COVID risk-adjusted strategy. And thirdly, we've had retrenchments and business closures affecting the number of students who now qualify for NESFAS. I want to say that the extended academic year, we were never compensated for that. In fact, we blew all the NESFAS reserves that were there because we said, despite the lockdown, we are not going to, to stop the allowances. Now, if you look at then specifically at this slide for universities, the red number, you can look at the other details. They point out, for instance, on for 2021, we're expecting 387,000 continuing students and 186,000 new applicants, which already, by the way, takes us to over half a million, which is just about half of all undergraduate students in our universities are NESFAS beneficiaries. That's a huge impact. We are talking of half of the university students in the country who would not have seen university were it not because of NESFAS. Now, for universities, the shortfall was 5.6 billion as at the start of this year. Next slide. Now, quickly what this slide does, Chair, is just to say 2020 trends that we are using as a basis of these projections. And 2021, NESFAS completed its applications evaluation processes in February. And we had made certain assumptions, which are listed there. I'm not going to go into detail. Now, TVET College's the shortfall has been 719 million rands. And university numbers also include projected returning students and new students. That just explains what I have explained in the slide before. Next slide. Now, I want to share with the portfolio committee this very briefly. The challenge that we have as government, if you combine, if you combine the 5.6 shortfall and the 719 shortfall for TVET, the 5.6 for universities. It's about where the 6.3 billion rands shortfall. And here is where we have made this shortfall from. Now, mainly the shortfall has been catered for through reprioritization of funds within the department of higher education and training. It's not outside injection. I think it's important that we share this with the portfolio committee so that, Chair, when you look at the entirety of the challenge that we face, 
we are able to look into all the dimensions of that. Uh, two, we're going to be taking 2.5 billion rands from very important grants that we give to the universities. We then also are taking 500, half a billion rands for Tibet infrastructure, which was mainly meant to build new residences for Tibet colleges. 100 million rands, no big deal. It's money we saved from goods and services because of the lockdown, we didn't spend this money. That's okay. We can live with this one. Then we have taken 3.3 billion rands from the National Skills Fund. Now, what we have tried here to be innovative is to say, anyway, in any case, the National Skills Fund has been funding what we call SCAR skills, such that even this 3.3 billion we'll be giving to NESFAS, we will say, still reserve as much of this 3.3 billion to the SCAR skills that the NSF has been funding, so that we are not out of kilter with what the NSF was wanting to do. That means that NSF will enter into an MOU, Memorandum of Understanding, with NESFAS. But the implications of taking this amount of money from the National Skills Fund, Chair, again, we owe you and we owe the country an open explanation. We are largely taking money from unemployed youth to give them training opportunities to fund university students. In many ways, we are robbing Peter to pay Paul. I want to be honest with that. Because the country has a challenge. We do need university students. We do need to increase black and women university graduates in this country. We are still way below where we want to achieve. So I'm personally a firm champion and believer that we must increase support to university students. But at the same time, we must not lose sight of the fact that they constitute less than 5% university students of the total youth of our country. And we have a huge youth of about 3.5 to 4 million of young people who are not in employment, education, or training which the NSF in the main is targeting so that they are also given opportunities to acquire skills or to improve themselves. Some of the monies from the National Skills Fund we had set for the Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan as announced and led by the president. Next slide. Now, just, uh, I think this is the last slide. Before I just wrap up, Chair, um, 799,000 applications we have. These applications to NESFAS were, were more by 185,000, increased by 185,000 from the 2020 trends. It's been a huge, massive increase. By the way, it's not true as some of our detractors say that we've been caught unawares. We have not been caught unawares. We started discussing this thing inside government from November last year when the figures began to show what we are likely to be getting and what the challenges are going to be. The issue has been where we get the money from. 
What is good news? I can say this for the ANC in particular as the governing party, is that 67% of the new applicants, honorable chair, are SASA beneficiaries. You see, what this means is that the child grant is working such that kids who ordinarily would not have reached the stage are able to apply and many of them will get to university or college. It's a huge achievement by government, this, the impact of the other grant that we have, which is the child grant. Now, we have also, you, you can ask NESFAS, they would be able to explain how they deal with appeals, which of course you yourselves have been dealing with. Let me not take more time other than to say there is a process for appeals. Next slide. Next slide is the last then of what I wanted to, to say in relation to NESFAS. Let me summarize, Chair, and then briefly tell you where we are. In other words, government policy guided by Section 29.1 of the Constitution basically caters for free higher education for the children of the working class and the poor with families earning up to 350,000 rands per annum and for the acquisition of the first undergraduate qualification. That's the policy. Insofar as that policy is concerned, Chair, we have met the, we, we, the, the targets. We are doing our deal. So insofar as government policy as it exists, we are achieving that. And this year, we are going to be funding the NESFAS students. And also I want to emphasize, there's no policy uncertainty there. Policy is clear, who government supports. By the way, I also do need to emphasize this chair that government policies generally have been targeting the poor and the working class, mainly the poor across the various sectors. For instance, even in basic education, we have got no fee schools for the poor, the quantiles. Even in those schools that are not very poor, some of them your former Model C schools, poor parents are not expected to pay. In education, therefore, that's the, 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 the government policy. In housing, that's the government policy. In other words, in education, not everybody who, who wants will get, but it's the poor. Housing also targets the poor. Access to basic services also target the indigent. Social security grants also target the poor. So if you regard, you take NESFAS, NESFAS policy is in line with government policy, which has led to a huge impact on poverty, despite the many challenges that we still face. Now, when then there often are disputes and problems and emotions are running high, we then want to fudge the issues. At no stage has government committed to pay for the wealthy and those who can afford any of its services, including 
post-school education. It's important that I say that, Chair, because I then want to move on. What is the nub of the problem that we are facing now? The nub of the problem that we are facing now is not NESFAS, is not government policy. Yes, there will be issues around those who appeal, those who may fall through the cracks here and there, but generally, NESFAS achieves government's intention in terms of section 29.1 of the constitution. What we are facing now, which is why we're meeting with the vice chancellor, which is why we are having student protests. Let's just go straight to the issue, honorable chair, honorable Mapula. The issue is that is student debt. And who is owing? Is student debt and the necessity and the need and demand for students who owe to register, to be allowed to register and acquire education. Government is very sympathetic to that. Even if the large part of the people now who are having the problem of student debt is not so much NESFAS students, because since 2018, NESFAS students are being paid for, for everything. Even the pre-2018 NESFAS students, we had had an arrangement with the universities that those will be allowed. By the way, in the next two years or so, those ones will be out of the system because now from 2018, we've got this bursary scheme. We have agreed with the institutions. Those, uh, am I still connected, Chair? You yes, are. So, you are here in my laptop. I thought I was disconnected. Even those who are pre-2018 honorable chair and honorable members, we've done two interventions with them. There was a time when we wrote off, paid for some of their debt, historic debt. That was around uh time you may remember, I think it was around 2017. We had done it before, by the way. But also it said universities must register them under the acknowledgement of debt that when they work, they will actually pay that. The, the reality of what we are dealing with now in the language I know is the lower middle class, what we call the missing middle. That's the issue that we are dealing with. Those who do not qualify for NESFAS, but at the same time are not rich or wealthy enough to be able to pay for themselves. That's the issue. And it's important that we, we, we mustn't fudge as if government is not meeting its policies. Government is meeting its policies with NESFAS. Rather, let's go to the issue. Now, the meeting I was having with, uh, with the vice chancellors yesterday was to say, how do we deal with this, the missing middle? Because much as they fall outside government's target, but as government, we are still concerned about that. They are South Africans. They are students who want to access. By the way, also, let me say, even within the NESFAS criteria, there are certain exceptions we've made. Students with disability, we support them, even if they come from families who are earning up to 600,000 rand per annum. That's what we do with disabled students. 
Also, students who have got more than two, but Nesfas can remind me students, a family more than two students at university. Can't remember the exact detail. But we have said those should appeal for Nesfas to be able to deal with them within the means that are there within Nesfas. Now, student debt, honorable members, it's a global problem. In saying so, I'm not being defensive. In the US is estimated at a trillion US dollars. In South Africa at the moment, our estimate is 13.9 billion. But that student debt, next first students would be a smaller part. The large part is the missing middle, which is why we have a crisis as a country. Now we then said with the VCs yesterday, universities will continue largely what they've been doing to say, they are willing to consider on a case-by-case basis appeals by students who are in the missing middle that they are allowed to register, provide they sign acknowledgement of debt, and they are doing well academically. A lot of our universities have done that. Not all of them, because the challenge we face, because I must state facts here, is that our universities are not the same. Perhaps this can afford to deal with a certain number of students, which they have, by the way. So will UCT. UWC is an interesting one because they can explain why they've been able to say all students can come and register provided they sign acknowledgement of debt. But if you ask Zululand to do that, you are asking too much. If you are asking Walter Sisulu to do that, you are asking too much. Anyway, most of those universities, their students are overwhelmingly 90% plus in some instances, NESFAS supported students. Now, that's what we agreed with the universities, that they are willing to consider this. And they are doing it. But what we are also doing, which is part of what asking me to run around, Chair, as I'm requesting for, for your indulgence but I, that I be released soon, has got to do with the fact that what we are trying to do now is to collect accurate, as accurate information as possible for us as government to say what is the number of these missing middle students or the, the categories of students who are owing. Because there are those who are genuinely missing middle, they can't afford but also there is a component of those who can afford to pay, but have not been paid. So we need to, to understand that properly so that we know what is the scale and the nature of the problem. Now, that is where we were. We ended with the university vice chancellors yesterday. Now, let me be honest with you, honorable members. The dilemma that we are facing, all of us, is that universities are saying we'll do this per institution, and on a case-by-case -case basis, and within the means of what we can afford as individual institutions. But on the other hand, the demand from students is to demand that this thing be done for everybody in the same way. Now, it can't be done for everybody in the same way by the universities on their own because of these inequalities within our institutions. So that is what we are grappling with now. I can end, Chair, by saying that we are continuing to engage. That is why I'm running around. We have this post-school education and training task team with all the stakeholders because 
We want to engage all the stakeholders, the students, yes, but the other stakeholders, the workers, your college principals, yourself, bring them under one roof. It's chaired by our deputy minister. That's what we are convening, I think, at one today, if I'm not mistaken, deputy minister. Uh, and then I am doing this task, Chair, I was asking that I be excused because I'm meeting someone very important at 10 who I won't mention, who wants this information that I have with me so far in order that government properly understands the nature of the challenge. Let me say, Chair, that as government, we are committed to work towards addressing this program, this problem, because we are wanting to see our institutions starting the academic year. Already, the academic year is short. Already, we are still faced with this virus, COVID-19. We are not even sure there is talk of that we must have it that way. So it's very important that we are able to start the academic year. So government is committed to assist towards addressing these problems. That is where I should end, uh, Honorable uh, Chairperson. Thank you. Um, okay, thank you very much. Uh, uh, thanks very much, Honorable Minister, for your for your input. Um, I think we appreciate the fact that you you did say from the beginning that you're going to cut to the chase. And uh, we can see the presentation is not very, very long. I think it zoomed into what the issues are. Um, I think with regard to your request, uh, we, we will uh, accede, uh, Honorable Minister, and uh, allow you to be excused to attend to the matter that you requested to attend to. Uh, the Deputy Minister will be remaining with us. We will engage. Um, <clears throat> uh, it would have been, it would have been, uh, you know, ideal that uh, you also sit through and uh, get all the other inputs by the other stakeholders. But as you have said, uh, you've got this pressing matter. I think we, we are not going to be unreasonable and to detain you here when you have got other national duties to attend to. So we will allow you to, to be excused. Uh, it's almost now 22. If I open up for members to make comments, uh, we are not going to be able to do that in a minute. So uh, the DM is remaining. So what we will do is to allow you to be excused and then we'll go on with our program. Uh, thanks for coming, uh, Honorable Minister. We will, uh, members I'm sure will make contributions on what you said, uh, but you are excused. <clears throat> Thank you very much for your understanding, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members. Okay, thank you very much, Minister. No. I think what we will do, Members, uh, uh, I'm going to ask if the Deputy Minister wants to make some additional comments in addition to what the Minister has said, so that we wrap up the submission of the document. No, no, that's, I'm, I'm covered, Chair. Thank you. Um, I think the Minister covered broadly our uh, uh, position uh, and presentation. Thank you.
Okay. All right. Thank you very much. So what we will do, members, I think we will take all the presentations uh, from all the stakeholders that we have invited, and then after which we are going to open up for engagement. So we are going to have sufficient time to engage with the presentation of the minister and then the other stakeholders. There is um, Yusuf, there is Saus. So maybe we must uh, invite Yusuf. Uh, after Yusuf, I think we we must we can then take Vets University. The reason why we did not we did not cancel the presentation of Vets is uh, <clears throat> is that we we think that uh, in us looking at the bigger picture in all the national issues we should continue to receive this presentation so that we can use it as a case study of what are the issues at an institutional level. Uh, get a presentation from VETS, followed by the SRC of VETS, and then the SAUS. I saw the president of SAUS, Mugabe, is, is on the platform. Saus will then uh, <clears throat> give us the perspective of uh, the students as an organization that represent all the SRCs in the country. So I think broadly that's how we are going to be approaching this issue. So members, you'll have to sit down, relax, uh, take out your pens and take some notes as we continue to receive these presentations. I've received a notice that <clears throat> In my area, ESCOM will be implementing load shedding at 10. So I've, I've tried to make some arrangement to improvise, but in case I get cut off, uh, Honorable Mukachwa uh, will, will then take us, uh, will then preside over this meeting. Uh, just in case I get cut off, uh, at 10 when load shedding has been implemented in my area. Uh, Yusuf, Professor Bauer, are you on the platform? Yeah. Yes, uh, thank you so much, uh, Chair, and uh, good morning to members of parliament and to, uh, to other members who are on the, uh, on the call. Um, um, Chair, I just want to make completely clear that Yusuf had no intention of giving the portfolio committee a runaround. We respect the portfolio committee. We think it's a really important uh, accountability. It plays a really important accountability function. And I just wanted to emphasize that actually there is an overlap. I was given the time of 11 o'clock uh, to make this presentation. And, I, uh, and there is an overlap, a very significant overlap between this meeting and the ministerial task team meeting. It's a two and a half, it's, a, it's an hour and a half overlap, a two and a half hour, sorry, hour and a half overlap. Uh, and uh, so it's really a question of uh, trying to understand uh, uh, just the importance that there's also the importance of the ministerial task team, especially at this point in time as a multi-stakeholder uh, uh, organization. So uh, there's no intention of giving the, um, giving the, uh, the ministerial task, uh, the portfolio committee, the runaround. And I also want to just indicate that the presentation that I'm going to make today 
uh, will not be a complete presentation simply because we received the invitation for this meeting just yesterday afternoon and uh, there just hasn't been time to collect the data, necessary data that has been required, that would have been required. But I'm very pleased really to be here today. Uh, I want to also just emphasize the, uh, the um, inability of, uh, of our chair, Professor Mutua, to be with us today. She has uh, some ongoing meetings at the university which she couldn't change. Uh, I will chair, I will share uh, presentation chair, and um, just looking for it now. Sorry, um, just give me a moment, please. I hope that that is uh, visible to everybody. Um, and what I was asked to talk about today was uh, to talk about the current state of affairs in the higher education sector. And um, I begin by uh, just looking, first of all, at the impact of COVID-19 on the pandemic on the universities, because that's the kind of background against which we are working today. Uh, and I wanted to just begin by, by emphasizing a few things that we had spoken about last year um, and that first of all i think that the uh, that what covid-19 did to did do was exacerbate the existing inequalities between our universities uh, but it also kind of showed up the uh, the the importance of us to understanding the uh, the extent to which uh, there was a that that a glib kind of shift to online learning can have serious consequences in a society as unequal as ours and uh, one has to admit, in fact, that last year, although we did get, you know, we did complete the academic year, there were moments when we thought that uh, this would not be possible uh, in, uh, due to the fact that so many students uh, lacked devices and so many students lacked access to connectivity and so on. And I think there are lots of lessons to be learned uh, from that. Um, uh, thirdly, I just wanted to uh, uh, highlight uh, the extent to which uh, we, we were able to complete the academic year uh, by engaging in collaborative approaches uh, and the formation of new partnerships to address the systemic challenges. And that includes partnerships between government, uh, universities, private sector, um, students, of course, uh, we, we had a number of engagements with Saus last year. Um, and, and, and that it was this uh, kind of this collaborative platform that uh, provided the basis for us to, uh, to complete that academic year. And more importantly, it lays the foundation uh, for us to have a constructive uh, approach to the future of higher education in South Africa. Um, it, it, it does also indicate that there's a need for us as a society, as a system at least, to, uh, this includes government, universities, uh, science councils, uh, the Department of Science Innovation, uh, as well uh, to really shift towards understanding how we can build a national shared services platform uh, to effectively reduce these inequalities. So for example, uh, we've discussed with the minister before uh, the idea of building a kind of a, a national digital teaching and learning platform that will uh, provide the basis for 
all institutions, not just the universities, but all institutions, to use a platform that is uh, uh, readily available to everybody. Such a platform will include not just the technology platform, but it will also include connectivity and so on. And, uh, and of course, we've made a lot of progress with connecting uh, all the universities and their campuses to the national cyber infrastructure grid. But, uh, and, and now, of course, there's a project to connect the TVT colleges uh, to, uh, to, a national, to the national cyber infrastructure grid. Um, and now, of course, the big challenge is to understand how to optimize that for, uh, for teaching and learning and for research. Um, at the moment, that uh, grid is used very effectively for research. Uh, but what we would like to do now is to try and understand how to amplify its use for teaching and learning. And that would make a huge difference uh, from, from a number of different perspectives to the extent to which the post-school education training system can meet the, uh, the, needs, the needs of our society. Um, uh, what, what last year also showed was uh, the need for us to ensure uh, kind of policy stability and policy consonance, you know, just really trying to get everything to work. Uh, first of all, to have policy stability, but then also to try and make sure that the policies are all broadly pulling in the same direction so that we don't have uh, contending policy initiatives, if you like. Uh, and of course, as the minister pointed out in his talk earlier today, the, 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 the massive impact of COVID-19 on the economy uh, also had a massive impact then on the funding of higher education and, and, and science. And of course, when we talk about science uh, here, minister, uh, 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 members of parliament and chair, uh, when we talk about science here, we're also speaking about uh, not just the science council, but also the funding that comes via the Department of Science and Innovation uh, into the university space. And that's uh, something that's uh, of deep concern to us. I've just got six points for discussion today. First of all, just the calendar planning for, 20, for the 2021 academic year. Secondly, that we'll uh, look at uh, student funding issue. The minister has referred to this already, but I will give some perspectives from, uh, from our side. Uh, the registration of students is um, uh, just, a, just a slide or two on that. Uh, keeping students and staff safe from COVID-19, just a slide on that. Uh, and then uh, modes of teaching and learning and the short-term funding crisis and the long-term sustainability of universities. Uh, so uh, the first time entry students uh, enter, enter the university system from the 8th of March onwards, and that process is underway now. Um, and I, I've got a list in the next slide which kind of shows when the students are expected to return. Uh, but several universities have already had their students back and students are busy with orientation programs and, uh, and, and, and the academic program has begun. Um, uh, returning students actually uh, began registering much, much earlier on uh, from the first week, of, uh, first week of February onwards and some have already begun to engage their academic programs. Um, the calendar year at all universities is set for completion at the end of 2021. So there's no plan at the moment uh, for us to, uh, to go into 2022, uh, except of course, uh, you know, if there's something uh, really, uh, uh, really significant that happens with the trajectory of the pandemic. And as we are aware, of course, there's a lot of uncertainty about that. So, um, so, so this uncertainty, of course, really, you know, really puts the pressure on universities to ensure 
that they they do have the capacity to uh, to set up multiple pathways to complete the academic year as indeed we did last year. And so uh, if there's a need for us to shift gear, if you like, with different modalities of delivery of teaching and learning, then we'll be able to do so. Um, and then uh, finally, just to say that uh, registrations were impacted significantly by the shortfall in NISFAS funding. Uh, but at the end of last week, uh, NISFAS distributed the lists of, uh, of, uh, of qualifying students to the universities, and that uh, registration process is now uh, underway and, 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 and happening at a, at a fairly good rate. So I'm not going to go through the detail in this chair, but it's just to uh, just for the record, really, just to say when is it that universities uh, due to register, register students and when are the academic programs due to begin? And what one can see is that almost all the universities are really due to begin uh, their uh, academic uh, academic work on the in March. Um, there are one or two universities which uh, have for returning students. Uh, a start date in April. Uh, the, the idea really is, uh, the idea of this slide is really to say that uh, um, notwithstanding the uh, student activism that's going on on our campuses at the moment, the registration processes are underway and uh, most of the universities are engaging in, in uh, online, online registration. Uh, and this just continues that same, same chart. Uh, UNISA, of course, gives an official start date of the 12th of April, but actually it really is an ongoing, the moment students register, they, uh, they can begin their studies, uh, but it does have an official start date of the 12th of April. And just to say that, uh, again, I just want to emphasize that, um, uh, you know, that uh, uh, one has, uh, from, the, from the data that we've received, we've heard that, in fact, students, uh, that, that there has been steady progress on on registrations and those universities that uh, uh, that that have reported have indicated that up to 95, 96% of students have registered. University of Johannesburg, uh, according to the vice chancellor, has already registered 99% of the students for this academic year. Um, this slide really just gives you a sense of the number of students who are due to register. This is uh, uh, the first column, of course, is first-time entry students. The second column uh, returning is returning students. And, uh, and again, it's just for the record, really. But what I wanted to just say is that uh, uh, there's some data that's missing on, this, on these slides. I don't have that data. Uh, it will be filled in, and I will, supply, I will provide the updated uh, list to, uh, to uh, um, Adele. Um, but ju just to say at this point in time, that uh, we are talking about uh, uh, an intake at the end of this year of about 220,000 students, uh, first-time entry students, and of course, if one takes the whole uh, the whole um, uh, the whole uh, cohorts of uh, undergraduate students, first-time entry, and returning students, that figure is in excess of 1.1 million. Uh, as I indicated earlier, we had difficulty with the NISFAS shortfall uh, that has been dealt with. Um, and uh, and in fact, some universities uh, took a gamble, uh, you know, with the permission of their councils to register the NISFA students uh, who uh, for whom the lists have not yet been provided by NISFA. Um, uh, so some some universities actually registered the students even before the lists were available. 
Um, but generally speaking, the universities waited for the list to be provided, and um, and now that process is underway. Um, the registration pro the period after discussions with the minister because of the difficulties of managing the shortfall, the registration period uh, was has been extended at all universities by two weeks, and uh, the places that were offered to NISFA students will be held uh, for those NISFA students until such time that the this first list process was completed. And now that is completed, and so we can then um, uh, accept that those NISFA students will be placed in in the in the programs for which they had applied. Um, and then I should just um, uh, indicate that the registration of senior students has progressed well. Uh, the current student funding crisis, of course, has impacted that, and I'll come to that in a minute. Um, on that matter, on the student funding matter, We've spoken about the NISFAS shortfall already, and so there's not a, there's no need to go into that anymore. I mean, the, the one thing that we are concerned about is the long-term sustainability of the program. And we are, of course, uh, deeply concerned about the fact that, uh, you know, that when we get into 2022, that uh, we will have a much better idea uh, of how, uh, how we can build a a sustainable kind of student funding model that takes us into the next 10 years or so, so that we don't have uh, this challenge at the beginning of every year. Uh, as the minister indicated, there is no national system for funding of students who fall outside of the disperse threshold for family income. And of course, there are different categories of students in this, uh, in this, uh, in this study. And we are on, at the moment uh, with the department, we are at the moment uh, uh, doing what we might think of as a fine-grained analysis of those uh, students who are uh, who fall outside of the NISFAS threshold for family income, and the idea of that of that fine-grained uh, uh, analysis is to understand exactly which students are affected by this and and what kind of solution might be put in place to address that. Um, uh, what the minister didn't mention this morning is that we did agree yesterday. That we will set up, uh, uh, that the minister will set up a task team of people to look at the long-term solution uh, as a as a set of recommendations to cabinet about the student funding uh, situation, and we are very anxious to be involved in that and to ensure that uh, we, by the time we get to the, uh, you know, to the middle of 2021, that we have a good idea of uh, what the solution for the student funding situation will be for the longer term. Um, the student debt challenge is uh, is massive, and I, I want to just indicate that there is no uh, indication of national government uh, support for this to the universities. Uh, although the minister did mention yesterday that uh, we needed to provide him with data, which of course we are now gathering uh, to provide to him. Um, I w want to just indicate that you know each. So what we decided yesterday was that each university will in fact now. Uh, kind of uh, address the issue of the uh, of the debt of returning students um, with 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 individual students and with the SRCs on their campuses. But the idea of this being that universities will, uh, you know, on the basis of their own instruments, if you like, uh, find a way of addressing uh, this very difficult issue. Uh, and I think that the perhaps the most important thing here is that uh, uh, that. You know, there are different instruments that universities can bring to bear. Some universities, of course, can uh, find some direct university funding for succeeding students. 
And, uh, you know, as we've heard already, universities like University of Cape Town and University of Witwatersrand and so on have put some money into a pool to, uh, to address this issue. Um, uh, and, and, and that's, of course, to a great benefit uh, to those, to those uh, succeeding, academically succeeding students, if you like. Um, the second approach, which is the one that's most usually used, especially at the HDIs and universities of technology, uh, is the, uh, the approach of getting students to sign up new loan agreements um, you know, with their families and so on. And the idea of that is really to try and ensure that students can continue with the studies while uh, recognizing uh, that, the, that, the, that, the, that the debt uh, continues. Now, I, I just want to emphasize here that the, basically what this does is that it um, basically kicks the can down the road, if you like. This isn't a solution to the problem. What it does is that it uh, you know, opens the way for, kind of for uh, the debt, debt to be extended in time, but also to, that it will add to the debt simply because uh, that debt will uh, kind of the further debt will accrue during this year. Um, and of course, there's the whole issue around external donor funding, but uh, this is by no means uh, kind of a silver bullet, if you like. I mean, the extent of, of donor funding uh, is fairly limited. Uh, and uh, and where, where it is possible, then that helps, but it's not a solution in any serious way. And then uh, finally, Chair, just the idea of... Uh, uh, government, uh, other government funding agencies uh, like the CETAs and others. And uh, last year, for example, the ETDF CETA made available a very significant amount of money uh, to fund uh, students uh, who are having difficulty with registrations. Uh, and uh, we are hoping that we'll be able to galvanize more resources in that uh, from the, from that sector, if you like, to facilitate this year uh, this year's registrations. Uh, as the minister pointed out, the level of debt is in the region of 14 billion rand. That's a 2019 uh, figure, uh, so it's it's it's, uh, it's 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 it'll be larger than that. And what we've also um, uh, received information about uh, is that the current debt of students who have already left the university um, universities, but who owe money to universities, that that amount is about uh, 7 billion rand. Um, and therefore, I think we can estimate that the current debt of students to the universities is in the region of 7 billion rand. So the amount of money that's preventing students from registering, in essence, is in the region of 5 to 6 to 7 billion. We're not totally sure of that figure yet until we do a more rigorous analysis. But uh, 7 billion is what is owed by students have already, who have already left the university uh, universities and so we can assume that that figure is in the region of six to seven billion. It does seem to us at least that there's a need for a national solution here. The universities uh, are simply not the uh, not the solution to this issue. And I think that you know I I, I understand why uh, this you know why demonstrations are taking place at our universities. I mean I you know I was a student activist myself, and I would have done the same thing if I was a student. Uh, but uh, but I think that I think everybody has to understand that the solution to the problem doesn't lie with the universities. I think we have to accept, you know, that uh, in a democracy such as ours, and uh, the minister did actually speak about this. That in a democracy such as ours, uh, we cannot have a you know, high education system that excludes individuals because it can't be afforded uh, to those individual students. 
uh, that just doesn't, uh, it's completely antithetical to the idea of a university. So it seems to me that, uh, you know, if we do have a national higher education system, uh, public higher education system, then we have to understand completely how uh, we would, uh, you know, how we would fund the students to participate in that, in that system. And, and I think this is particularly true in a society like ours, which has such deep structural inequalities, and that therefore uh, the idea of creating a task team that the minister uh, spoke to us about yesterday, uh, that that becomes absolutely paramount because it is about uh, trying to understand how to ensure that there's a long-term sustainable model for the funding of, uh, funding of students. Um, the scale of the challenge uh, requires us to be a national solution, and I, just, I want to emphasize that there's just no possibility of this challenge being faced by the universities themselves. And um, and, I, and 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 chair, I think that this is really just a—it's almost a rhetoric, uh, rhetorical kind of statement. But I think that it's really important for all of us to understand that we should think of the post-school education and training sector and the science system as areas of national investment rather than areas of expenditure. And what I mean by that is that it really is an investment in the future of our democracy, the future of our economy, and in particular in the future of uh, our talent, most talented young people. And that it's absolutely critical that uh, we make this, uh, make this national investment, if you like. Uh, on the issue of keeping students and staff safe, I won't spend time on this because we all, uh, we, we've had this discussion before. Uh, just to say that all the protocols and systems that were put in place in 2020 are in place. Um, uh, I, I think it's uh, interesting to note that the infection rate of students and staff at universities is lower than the national rate. And that's, uh, that's very important, I think, to understand. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, what is of critical uh, importance for us is really the idea of uh, trying to understand how uh, we can uh, ensure that staff and student behavior on our campuses uh, doesn't kind of act against the mitigation strategies that have been put in place. And I'm very pleased to say that uh, uh, that there was a joint effort between uh, SAUS, uh, USAF, um, uh, SASAP, which is the South African uh, uh, Senior Student Affairs Professionals, uh, and Higher Health, a joint project which kind of produced uh, kind of a template for a social compact to be struck between university administrations and uh, and uh, student organizations on campuses and staff organizations, the unions on campuses. Uh, and, uh, and with the idea that this social compact should be around uh, uh, trying to ensure that staff, um, that staff and student behavior uh, you know, doesn't uh, result in outbreaks, uh, as we saw last year at a couple of universities in the Eastern Cape in particular, but in other parts of the region as well, uh, other parts of the country as well. Um, as we know, the government's vaccine strategy has yet to be fully clarified in terms of the timelines and so on. And, uh, but what I can say is that we are in discussions, uh, both with the National Department of Health and the government's uh, uh, the the uh, the um, ministerial advisory committee of the government for the vaccine program uh, vaccine rollout program uh, about the use of university facilities 
uh, both for the storage and the rollout of the vaccine program. Uh, the storage, of course, is uh, critically important because some of the vaccines that we will be using, like the Pfizer vaccine, will require uh, kind of um, uh, a, a cold chain facility, which is really at about uh, minus, minus 70 degrees Celsius. And uh, several of our uh, universities with medical schools and so on, uh, and biological sciences uh, faculties, uh, have such facilities and will make those facilities available for um, for the use of uh, of uh, for the use of the Department of Health. Uh, in terms of the modes of teaching and learning, um, there'll be a multiple approaches to this. Several universities are bringing back all their students. Uh, some of them are not bringing back their students. Some of them are for the first semester at least, uh, and largely it's to do with uh, concerns about uh, outbreaks on campus. Several universities are considering platoon systems. So in other words, having students come in uh, for different periods of time. Um, and then there's a whole enterprise around blended learning. Uh, and I think that we have to uh, understand that that's going to become the norm uh, really for this period of time, this idea of blended learning where even where students are back on campus, that they will largely be using the devices and the network and so on to access the materials, but that they will then engage in small group tutorials and small group lectures and so on to prevent, uh, uh, to, to ensure that there's social distancing. And all of these will, of course, work with each other. Um, and, and then uh, finally, just to say that uh, on the devices issue, we have been assured by NISFA that the devices uh, for NISFA students at least will be distributed and universities, of course, are working with uh, are working to also provide uh, devices to non-NISFA students. Um, and uh, and then, of course, uh, where there's need for data, uh, those contracts that we had with the uh, mobile network operators are being renegotiated, and uh, that's something uh, which uh, is of deep concern to us because it's a very expensive enterprise. Um, Chair, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but just to say that, uh, you know, that the universities are all facing uh, very tight uh, kind of funding crises in this, in this year, this, this financial year, uh, 2020-2021 and 2021-2022. Uh, there were small subsidy cuts in 2020, uh, significant cuts in donor funding, um, research funding, as I mentioned before. We are seeing a massive decline in, in the industry spend on research and development, and that has a huge impact on our research capacity. And, uh, and of course, uh, what, what we are also seeing is a further cut in subsidy this year, uh, uh, possibly at least, we don't know yet, uh, due to the shortfall uh, that was faced by this to us. Uh, and the minister, of course, alluded to that in his, in his talk. Uh, and then, of course, there, were, there was very substantial um, expenditures, new expenditures on technology upgrades, uh, staff development, uh, uh, you know, making the campuses safe with COVID-19 protocols, uh, and spending on blended working facilities. Uh, all of these really uh, were very expensive enterprises, and, uh, and clearly there were savings as well. So, for example, we had savings on travel costs, which were very substantial, and there were marginal savings in utility bills. So um, having said that, uh, Chair, the universities are facing a uh, short-term sort of funding crisis uh, uh, this year. And, and of course, we are deeply concerned about the long-term sustainability. 
the subsidy per student has been in decline over the last 10 years. And we are concerned about this because it really is, uh, kind of has a huge impact on the capacity of universities to ensure that uh, there's a decent level of uh, teaching and learning and research going on. Uh, and of course, I think we all know that there's a, uh, that there's going to be a new approach to tuition fee increases being regulated. Uh, we are sort of in agreement with that. But what it does mean is that the scope for universities to to offset decreases in subsidy with increases in tuition fees, that that falls away. Um, uh, as we know, as I've mentioned before, that there's no national system in place for student funding of all for all students. And that is a problem. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we are really talking about uh, creating... Uh, uh, national digital teaching and learning platforms and other national platforms that will help us to address the issues of inequality. And then, uh, and then we are seeing a decline in research funding, uh, and that has enormous uh, implications for the national science system. Uh, the universities are by far the biggest part of the national science system and by far the biggest producers of uh, research and so on in that national science system. So when, when, when we have an impact on the university research system, uh, that will have an impact on the national research system. And, and, then, uh, and then finally, as I mentioned earlier, this decline in industrial innovation spending from the private sector uh, has very serious implications uh, for the research and research enterprise. I'll stop there. Thank you, Chair. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Professor Bauer. Uh, thanks for your presentation. Um, I think uh, um, the presentation was, uh, you gave us a lot more information that we, that's necessary for, the, for us to engage, uh, to have this national dialogue. Uh, thank you very much for coming. Um, Maybe just to clarify the earlier issue about giving us the runaround, uh, we we got your apology that you won't be coming. We sought clarity from the deputy minister. The deputy minister said the meeting is at one. So if the deputy minister, the minister, and all the other stakeholders are here this morning with us and you are giving us an apology that you are going to attend a meeting where they are supposed to be there. Uh, we then said, let's follow up. Uh, we followed up with yourself. And then ultimately uh, there was a confirmation. So maybe on your side, there might have been an issue about uh, the clashing of meetings, but this meeting is scheduled to start at nine and finish at one o'clock. So where we are sitting, there is no sense of overlap or clashing of meetings. Uh, uh, sorry, Chair, but the the, uh, the agenda that we received has the meeting finishing at 2.30. Okay, now our meeting is going to finish, this discussion is going to finish at one, and then from after that, we are going to receive a briefing from the Department of Science and Innovation. So the higher education and training discussions are scheduled to finish at one, at the latest. <clears throat> but otherwise, thanks, uh, Professor Bauer, for your input. Uh, can we check if uh, Vets University is ready?
Vets University. We have received the presentation from Vets University. I think, uh, yeah, I think this morning. Uh, was it yesterday or this morning? Yeah, I think it was either yesterday or the, but I got it this morning myself. Um, <clears throat> so thank you very much to the University of Vets for coming to engage with us. Initially, when we, when we um, uh, picked up that there is some uh, protest across the country, um, we then decided that uh, uh, we will engage with the University of Arts. Uh, to get a perspective from the management and council, as well as the student leadership on the, the issues that were experienced by the students, particularly during the registration process. Uh, but as I've said earlier on, I think uh, these uh, challenges have assumed a national character. Uh, but we felt that we must continue to engage with yourself. I see the chairperson of council uh, is here and the vice chancellor. So let me hand over to the chair of council and then later on, I think, to the vice chancellor. You will introduce your delegation. Uh, because we don't have enough time, so we're going to be a bit more strict on the time. So I'm sure 30 minutes will be sufficient for you to take us through your presentations. Uh, Chair? Uh, is Mr. Shongwe the chairperson of council? I assume so. Uh, if not, uh, Let's be advised uh, who's the chairperson of the council and then hand over to the chair. If the chair is not here, let's have the vice chancellor then too. Yeah, the, ch the chair is here. Uh, I think he's on mute. Chair, you're on mute. So Mr. Shongwe is the chair. Okay. Uh, now, we can see Mr. Shongwe, oh, but he's, he's muted. No, he's unmuted, Chair, but we can't hear him. Okay. No, I think when you log on, when you log into this platform, uh, normally when you don't log in with an audio, uh, you are not going to be, we are not going to hear you when you speak. So what we, what we'll ask, the chairperson of council to do is to log out and then to log in back uh, first on using video and then later on audio so you'll be able to be seen and you'll be able to be audible uh, or we can help him chair what device is he using so that we help him quickly Oh, we've got an IT expert, I forgot. <laughs> Go ahead, uh, uh, Honorable Litsie, help the chair there. But he, he can't hear you. Yeah, no, he can, can hear, but he, he can hear, but he can't speak, chair. 
So I see he's nodding that he can hear. Uh, on the mute button there, there's a there's an arrow no, next to it. Press it. And then after pressing it, it will ask you what kind, uh, how do you want to, uh, it will say select microphone or select speaker. Then you will say select microphone. You will then choose the device you are using, uh, the microphone of that device. Yeah. Yes, you know, it's fine now, Che. We can hear you. Can you hear me? 100%. Thank you. Thank you very much. Honorable uh, Can you hear us? I can hear you. I can hear you, Honorable Chair. Okay, over to you, Chairperson. Um, Chair, apologies. Before you continue with Mr. Shongwe, can I make a request, please? I have my hand up, but I see the chair. I don't think the chair saw it. Okay. Oh, all right. I didn't see. Having acknowledged what Mr. Bauer said with regards to their presentation, can I just can we please still request that what they have in the interim be sent to members? Okay. All right, Thank Mr. Uh, Professor Bauer, just distribute it to Anela. Anela will make sure that members have got that presentation. Yeah, I will. Thank you, Vice Chair. Honourable Lizier, you are saying. I was saying I will send the, the invoice to Honourable uh, to Mr. Shongwede Advance for assisting. <laughs> thank you, thank you for assisting. <laughs> All right, over to you, uh, Mr. Shong. Honourable Chair, thank you very much on behalf of Vets Council and Vets University for uh, inviting us, you know, to share, you know, to share with you. Um, in terms of the efforts, you know, on our side, uh, as you've already mentioned um, here with, uh, you know, um, the VC, uh, Professor Vilagazi, and uh, I've got some of the members of the uh, senior executive team, you know, uh, with us, you know, in case there are, you know, some more information that we need to provide to be able, uh, you know, to do so. Um, before I kick off with the, you know, with our presentation, which we will try to move uh, as quickly as possible to be within the your time uh, requirements, I thought I should just, you know, make some brief opening comments. You know, uh, that, you know, as this, you know, we are a leading university committed to academic and research excellence, uh, social justice, and, advance, and advancement of the public good. Uh, as vets, we are globally competitive, you know, and locally responsive institution and a national treasure for our country that belongs to all of us. Um, we did, you know, it, as a university, we developed the high level and scarce skills required to move our economy forward and through the creation of new knowledge impacts uh, positively on society in multiple ways. I would like to believe that all of us in this meeting today want to ensure that uh, vets and institutions like us continue to shape society, you know, but that it is also uh, preserved for future generations. Let us all keep this in mind as we deliberate today. Uh, 
The Vest Council, which I chair, is tasked with the responsibility to ensure that the governance and sustainability of VETS is maintained. Uh, VETS remains committed as an institution to enabling access to higher education for academically talented students within the resources that we have available. As you will see from uh, our presentation, VETS has done uh, much to assist students to register and to access higher education, but it is not enough. It will take our collective efforts to resolve these uh, challenges and to ensure that higher education is better funded overall. The challenges that we are faced with are challenges that affect all of us, as the minister you know, indicated earlier. In trying to address them, we have to work together in this. And I, be, I, I, I don't believe that this should be um, a problem that divides us other than you know, uniting us, because we are all in this and we realize the importance for our country, for our young democracy, to, to really mature in a proper way that we are going to need to be able to address you know, uh, this problem. I was one of those students you know, who, um, you know, who grew up during apartheid you know, and uh, in the 70s you know, and 80s. And I've been able to be where I am today because of the generosity of other people. I just don't believe that there should be any students in our country who has, you know, uh, who qualifies to go to university that should not be able to access, you know, the university. And as chair, this is one of the things that I'm very committed uh, uh, on. The minister talked about, you know, the problem being predominantly in the missing middle. And one of the things that we're driving at VETS as council, you know, as we are attending 100 next year, we've set up a centenary campaign that we are driving and hoping that we'll be able to raise in excess of, uh, of three you know, uh, you know, billion. I can assure you, uh, Honorable Chair, that as council and other council members, we are totally committed to making sure that this as an institution continues to play the role that it plays in our society. Tasmin, can we put up the presentation, please? Tasnin, can you hear me? Thank you. Let's move to slide two. Honorable Chair, we put together an agenda that we're going to quickly go through. Um, you know, as you've asked us the questions of some of the, um, you know, uh, things that you wanted us to respond on, we're going to talk to you about, you know, applications, enrollment, and registrations. 
I'll give a snapshot of our VETS uh, income. Um, we'll address VETS challenges in the national context. Then we'll uh, deal with the, uh, the disbursement of NESFAS funds and allowances, our student latest demands and VETS uh, concessions, uh, our engagement with our SRC uh, teaching and learning during uh, 2020, and the readiness for the 2021 academic year. I've already mentioned kind of like our commitment, you know, to enabling as many students as possible to register provided that they have applied for the 2021 academic year, uh, you know, meet the academic requirements and are accommodated with the resources that we have available. Uh, this is one of the most contentious kind of like issues of, you know, Again, it talks to the resources that we have you know, available and it talks to the issue of those students who are you know, qualifying. And that tends to create you know, a problem between us you know, and, the, you know, and the SRC because there seems to be a need from the SRC that there has to be a blanket kind of like registration which really we cannot do as an institution. Honorable Chairperson. Honorable Chair Mapulane. Next slide. Um, um, Anelia, I'm not sure if Chair's still on the platform. He did indicate that he may have to go. So, okay, I don't see him. Um, Can I? Oh. Uh, Anela, can I request that um, Honorable Itia assist uh, the WITS uh, management to project their slide using this particular software? Because it's the same one that I think the CEO of NASFAS has, and it's not projecting clearly. Honorable Itia, are you there? Yes, thank you very much. Uh, who's, who's, who's running? Can On they... our side is, uh, you know, it's Tasneem. Tasneem, are you there? Uh, can she go to slideshow there? On the top bar. The top bar, yeah, there's a slideshow here. Uh, go to your right. Okay, it's fine. Go to display settings. On the top bar again. Yeah, press the swap presenter. No, press. Can you press? Okay. Yes. Then, and then you will just use the case on your computer to move the slides. Thanks, Honorable Mkacha. Anela, I think I am in order to indicate that um, I will take over in terms of um, chairing the meeting until Chair is able to join us once again. Mr. Matiba, we saw your hand is up. Um, the meeting can only engage with those that are invited to the meeting, but because it is a 
um, a, a meeting that is a preview to members of society. If you have any particular questions that you'd like to ask, please send them through the chat to the host um, of the portfolio committee. Thank you so much. You may continue, Mr. Shome. Tasmin, let's move to the next slide. And um, which then the, the next one, which then the VC will uh, take over. VC. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, thank you very much. Um, thank you, Honorable uh, Kajwa, uh, Deputy Minister. Uh, members of the portfolio committee. I am cognizant of the fact that we had prepared a 30-minute presentation, sorry, a 45-minute presentation, uh, which now, obviously, with the earlier delays, might be constricted to just under 25 minutes. So forgive me if I go through those slides quickly because I, I respect the fact that, you know, we have a, quite a tight agenda. So, and I think I did, some of the documents were sent, in fact, this presentation, uh, was sent last night and in um, PPT form this morning. So apologies about Thank that. You, Mr. Thank you, Mr. Villegas. VC, may we propose that you please open your camera? Um, it's a principal of the portfolio committee. Um, sure. And if you do have a, a, a bandwidth challenge, we will then allow for you to switch off. Okay. We can Thank see you. you and we can hear you. If you do, if we do struggle to hear you as the meeting goes by, we will request that you switch off your, your camera so that we can hear you clearly. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you. We continue. So please, uh, my four parents, I left to yes, move it a bit of speed continue. and I'm cognizant of time. So I think this is a kind of snapshot of last week's figures of enrollment as of 12th of March. And these are fast moving numbers. Uh, in terms of the split, as I've shown you, these numbers obviously, as you all know, are part of the DHT enrollment plan that we send to the, uh, uh, the that, that, that are recorded uh, in the public domain. Um, in terms of our postgraduates, as you all know, that uh, the postgraduates uh, are registered in cohorts, April, June, and September. So we normally reach the full target at the end of the year but this is the number in terms of the target, internal target of the undergraduate returning and the total enrollment. And this number is as of, it's a snapshot as of the 12th of March. And also uh, at the request of the SRC, the resignation, the registration period was extended to the 19th of March. Uh, I'm frozen. Use the up and down button. Um, yeah. Ah. Me, okay. Uh, I'm, familiar, I'm more familiar with, with Teams than with Zoom. Uh, please. Uh, okay. Um, now let's look at it against the backdrop of the, you know, um, applications we receive at the start of each academic year. So you've taken here the last two years, 2020-21, uh, both for the postgraduate with our targets that have been submitted to the department as part of our five-year enrollment plan. And most, most crucially here is that the number of 
you know, undergraduates, first time entrance uh, this year stands at 72,000 for about uh, just under 6,000 places. So there is indeed a very high demand and one must be uh, uh, respectful of that. And also in terms of our enrollment plan that you need to accommodate about 37,000 to full-time, uh, to 38,000 full-time students owing to the fact that the plant itself has got maximum capacity. And um, the registration process, I'll just go quickly through this. You've got online, you've got those that are unable to complete the forms online. They, we have asked a state registration that takes place on campus between the 5th and the 16th and the 5th of March and has been extended as well. I think um, with that, I'll just hand over to the chair to talk about global picture of the best income. So that actually sets things into perspective of what is the what are the income streams of the university. Over to you, Chair. Chair of Council. Thank you. Colleagues, as you see this um, you know, pie chart is that you know our income stream, we have you know state subsidies and grants to the tune of about uh, two billion um, you know, rand. And then we've got you know, tuition and other fee income uh, to the tune of about um, you know, uh, 2 billion you know, uh, you know, rand. And then we've got other income of about um, um, half a million, you know, five, you know, half a million rand, which comes from um, uh, the retail you know, uh, businesses you know, on campus. Just to give a sense in terms of the um, tuition and other income, uh, of that two billion, uh, 600 million come from donors. Uh, and Mr. Bauer has already mentioned in terms of how that number is increasingly going down. Um, and you know, there's a uh, NESFAS you know, funding you know, into that um, uh, you know, number. Um, of about uh, 300 you know, a million. And you know, from, uh, you know, from council, there's an additional 100 million that we put in you know, for, you know, for scholarships you know, to assist. You know. A big part of that, about a billion rand, falls into uh, fee-paying uh, students, those who can afford to pay, but within that as well, it captures a lot of uh, what the minister called, uh, you know, the missing, you know, uh, you know, middle, you know, and we expect in terms of the, you know, in that, you know, that other billion rand, you know, in terms of fee paying our students and, you know, the middle, you know, the missing middle, because they fall under that bracket, we're expecting that as we go forward, that number will, you know, um, you know, increase, which then creates kind of like a huge, you know, uh, deficit for us in terms of keeping, you know, uh, with you know, keeping up with that, because a huge number of our, you know, student intake, you know, falls, a significant number falls into that kind of like, you know, missing, um, you know, middle, you know, uh, you know, student. So as we look at these challenges as council, we know that we've got a, a you know a limited wallet that we can play you know um, you know around with, and the VC is gonna you know you know go into a little bit of details 
in terms of um, how some of the efforts that we've made as a university to alleviate some of the problems that exist in that missing middle, you know, uh, you know, bracket. Let's move to the next slide, Tasmin, VC. Yes, thank you. Uh, now in terms of the financial assistance for best students using our own resources from within the university, it is that uh, we have um, about 1 billion rand, another 2 billion rand uh, that uh, was flagged in the pie chart. Uh, you've got this 1 billion rand that is managed through our financial aid scholarships and bursaries annually, and those numbers are audited. And about 27,000, about 72% of the students uh, receive some form of financial aid, scholarships, or basic support through, you know, private companies and so on and so forth. Historically, right, about 20, 25% of our students fell within the NESFAS funded category. 14,000 were donor funded, as I mentioned, uh, by various uh, public and private sector uh, entities. And 4,500 to the tune of 100 million rand are funded via the council allocation. In terms of 2021 registration, which is where basically we have issues, which is why we're here today, is that I'll just give you, you know, an idea of how we are trying as best as we can, given our limited resources, to address the uh, this. We have a best hardship fund. Uh, this year, uh, well, I, I, I requested the council to give the vice chancellor another 100 million rand the CFO, to, for the special COVID relief fund. Understanding that a lot of the parents have fallen, you know, they, 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 these were difficult times last year, that we, we could add an extra 10 million to that. And I did mention the 100 million uh, in scholarships and bursaries and multiple fundraising campaigns, which uh, the SRC is, is spearheading, spearheading. In terms of the assistance, there's a number that we have in terms of the required, those that have come and required assistance, to the hardship fund and the COVID-19 relief fund. And uh, as of last Friday, uh, about 560 applications have been uh, assessed by, by, by this fund. And these numbers are moving quite uh, rapidly. I think that uh, this has been mentioned before. I mean, it's not a term that I like using, but in terms of the cohort of our students who constitute about 60% of our students who fall within this huge what I would call dynamic range between above 350 uh, to you know, a, a number where they can afford uh, funding. And I think uh, we have that large cohort, which is why we sometimes get into the issues of how do we support those, especially those that sometimes fall out or on the margin of the NESFAS uh, bracket. So in that regard, given our issues, and uh, I think the NESFAS has been covered, is that with historical date, uh, we have made several you know, concessions in recent years, which allows students to register. Uh, but of course, as was captured in some of the media reports, has contributed to the accumulation of historical debt, uh, which is now uh, becoming a, a large issue. Almost the best historical debt is now uh, close to a billion rand. The downturn in the economy and the uh, uh, coronavirus pandemic have impacted on the ability of students to pay fees and pay off debt. Um, with regards to disbursement of NESFAS funding, if you allow me, Chair, I think it's because of the 
the minister has covered large, a large part of his ground. So I'll skim through this very quickly. Uh, just what I can mention here at top of the slide is that we received confirmation of funding for 2021 up to so far for about 6,000, just under 6,500 students. Uh, and compared to the previous year, uh, we had uh, 9,000. So therefore there's been a 30% reduction in the number of students who actually have qualified for NISLAS. And what this has done is because we have Afra Council has given best management the uh, approval to actually upfront fund NESFAS students, those that actually are still waiting for NESFAS to the tune of around uh, 300 million rand. That is basically the bridging gap we've allowed for students to register in the NESFAS category whilst we allow for the NESFAS to, while, 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 we're, while we're waiting for that money to be reclaimed back from the, um, from the end uh, from NESFAS. So I will now just talk about of the original demands that the uh, management received and our response from the senior executive team. And uh, these are the 11 demands that were put. And I think because you have them in the uh, uh, advanced version of the copy that I gave you, I did mention the 10 million uh, via, the, via, via the hardship, the commitment of the COVID relief, the provision for historical debt in accordance with NESFAS rules, uh, four, four out of 10 million rand in the hardship fund was, was allocated for res financial assistance. Uh, no interest uh, has been charged for current debt for the calendar years 2020-21. Extension of registration, hardship fund, uh, to assist students uh, who qualify for assistance from the hardship fund based on mutually agreed criteria looking at the amount of available funds. Whilst we are cognizant of our budget, of our, de of our um, uh, debt crashes that we might be facing, uh, the university is, ad is adopting a blended form depending on the trajectory of the coronavirus uh, to adjust the programs uh, based on what the, what the faculty requirements are and different programs are. Some programs, like for example, in the some fields of the fine art, we require people to be in class. Uh, in some of the science uh, laboratories, you need uh, labs to run. So we are also making those faculty and school-based and departmental level granular adjustments. And um, as we turn 21, there is a, uh, a centenary campaign uh, to actually factor right front and center this issue from the first point of view that if you're able to raise enough endowment, we should be able to mitigate and manage that. That's the process that is presented by the 100th anniversary of the university to talk to our alumni and donors to dig deep into their pockets and help this university. In terms of the upfront payment, uh, the university has to operate within the sectorial arrangement that is in line with the global and uh, uh, local provisions. However, a uh, provision has been made again for international students to apply to the hardship funding and uh, other support mechanism. I've mentioned the COVID relief fund and uh, there has been, of course, um, a series of latest demands whose concessions are tabled here. Uh, uh, sorry, the, the demands in terms of postponement of the academic year that's in line with the national, uh, a lot, all students allowed to register the chairman and even the minister did allude to that. 
and uh, no fee increases and so on and so forth. What the university response in that regard is uh, first year students awaiting, awaiting less fast outcomes will, will, will utilize the concession. Uh, students who owe less than 10,000 will register. Missing middle with greater balance can apply for registration assistance by paying half of their standing debt and making basically DOAD. And um, no interest was charged for 2020. And best refunded students up to 70% for the study materials not received or services not, not rendered in 2020. And up to a quarter in accommodation charges for the days not spent in residences. Uh, the hardship fund, the COVID relief commitment to assist all qualifying students who've applied for registration via the hardship fund. Um, there has been a series of engagement to the SRC. Uh, in many areas, we have been deadlocked, have not, have not arrived at the conclusion, but we'll keep, I think, about 10 meetings we've had so far, and we'll keep on talking and engaging until we arrive at the point of uh, common understanding. Just quickly, because we are asked to talk about teaching and learning during lockdown, uh, is that the 2020 academic year, when we pivoted to online learning around this time last year, uh, we ran the academic program uh, mostly online. Some core students, some cohort of students did return to campus in a controlled and coordinated way in line with the national COVID-19 regulations. Data with laptops for those that fall outside of the categories of students that can afford to afford this data uh, was curated to their homes and with the zero rated data of 30 gigabytes a month. Uh, and we got selected websites for zero rated by mobile network operators. All assessments, uh, including face-to-face, -face, were completed in December, and there was a deferred sector in uh, 2021. On the readiness for the 2021 academic year, uh, which commenced uh, last week, uh, started with the exception of health sciences and labs, and those that were carried over, carry over from last year's 21, 25,000 students logged on into the newly rolled out uh, Uluazi Canvas uh, learning online management system. And uh, over 20,000 students continue to log in daily. Laptop, laptops and other devices are curated to students on request with a loan pool that, we've, that the university has come to an arrangement with with all the suppliers. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, 30 gigabytes per month data provision is made available to students. And uh, there's some learning sites that we've negoti we are negotiating for them to be zero rated. And uh, there will be bootcamp and other facilities that will be, will be arranged for catch up classes and provide additional support for students who register late. The return to campus plan um, has been modeled carefully to balance the academic and social justice needs. Students whose home environments don't allow for them, obviously on a case-by-case -case basis, to work productive at home will be allowed on campus to access university residences and learning spaces. Of course, this spatial configuration of the campus in line with the Department of Higher Education directives uh, has to factor in appropriate health mechanisms to uh, minimize the uh, you know, the, cre the creation of what are called super spreaders. 
over 3,000 students have returned to raise uh, to raises, and uh, spaces are allocated in order of priority in terms of invitation by faculties, first years, because they're the most vulnerable in terms of you know, not being able to access university learning systems and not being able to work independently. And we have uh, ensured that we have single occupancy because single occupancy will help in minimizing COVID because the modelers tell us that, you know, there could be a third wave that will be hitting us soon. So we have also created provisions for quarantine facilities should there be uh, a, 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 the outbreak. And the cumulative total in a staggered way of around just under 12,000 students are scheduled to return to campus in the first semester in a staggered and intermittent way. So uh, in, in closing, uh, before I hand over to the chair, we have also made said that student, everyone who applies for assistance to hardship and those who've applied to the SRC uh, in a list that was uh, published by the Student Representative Council will be assisted by the end of this Friday. So I will uh, hand over to the chair. Mr. Shongwe. Honorable Chair, in conclusion, I think that is very clear, you know, uh, to us as vets, uh, as council, that you know the problem that we are faced with, in terms of the students that requires, um, you know, assistance to access university, the problem is so huge that it needs all of us, you know, to you know to address it, you know. As an institution, you know, we'll continue to try to uh, do the best that we can, you know, to raise the funds, you know, to make sure that we, um, you know, increase, you know, the bursaries that we have, you know, on, you know, on our side, you know, but the reality, I think, you know, the minister really described it well in terms, you know, is the problem of resources you know, and, you know, and I fear that, you know, uh, given where we are as a country and given where our economy is, that this is not a problem that is going to be easily, you know, uh, addressed, you know, given kind of like the, the state in which our economy, um, you know, is in. We're beginning to see it in terms of those uh, corporates that have been supporting us you know, the, you know, the dwindling, you know, of that, you know, part of our, you know, you know, income, you know, and therefore the reality is there and it faces all of us. And I think it's incumbent to all of us collectively put our efforts in addressing, you know, this problem. You know, I thank you, Chair. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson and the VC. Um... I think you have exceeded the time allocated. We are now running out of time now. I'm going to invite the SRC uh, of VETS to uh, give us the perspective. We have sort of a 
them that I think 10 minutes should be sufficient for them to present all the issues that they would like to present to us. So we will hand over to them. I see somebody has raised a hand and uh, is not a member of parliament. I don't know what the hand is all about. Uh, but may I please request that you lower your hand so that we allow the SRC of S to talk to us. Do we have an SRC on the platform? Chair, uh, I am the SRC Treasurer General. Uh, my SRC President is going to make a, re a report. He is going to make a presentation. But I would have wanted to uh, give a slight response to uh, you know, the presentation that was given to Parliament by the university. Um, there are some things that I am picking up for the first time, although we've had interactions and those things were not presented to us. So I just wanted to ask Chair if okay. you need an opportunity. No, no, no. Uh, let's allow the person who has been assigned, who is your president, as I believe, to talk to us. And then uh, if there is some few minutes left, you will then uh, talk to the issues that were raised. Okay. But uh, I would like you to come in as part of your presentation to us. If there are other issues that you have picked up now, uh, you can talk to them, but as part of uh, your presentation. Let's first start with what you have prepared, and then if there are additional points, we will allow you to make those additional points. Uh, President, are you on the platform? Oh, yes, I am. I am on the platform. Sorry, I I actually am uh, on the picket line also, so I had to run away from the picket line to come and attend to this meeting. Uh, as you would know, most of you uh, are currently embarking on a march towards uh, the Central Chinese Magistrates Court because uh, a case uh, concerning the passing of Mtogos Sintumba will be sitting today. So we will be, we will be outside uh, picketing to ensure that justice is found from Togos Sintumba. So I'm multitasking at the moment, but I hope you were able to receive my, our presentation. Yeah, we did receive it. Uh, just talk to it briefly. Yeah, just to touch on our presentation, uh, it has uh, legs to it. It has uh, legs to it. And among the legs, uh, the first leg uh, speaks to, to the executive summary. Second one, uh, the context as it speaks in particular to this university. And then the financial crisis is, done, is the other leg, is the third leg. The fourth leg is uh, police brutality. The fifth leg is student victimization. And the sixth leg is academic uh, crisis on campus. And then uh, we have vets demands and then, then the recommendations. So as it regards the financial crisis, uh, we have a three-pronged approach. We have a financial crisis, which we want to share before parliament. We have an academic exclusion approach and we have a, a, safety, and and a safety and accommodation approach. Honorable so, am I audible? Yeah, you are audible. Uh, Honorable Katra, is that an order? No, it's not an order, Chair. Um, apologies, um, I did raise my hand. Can we request that um, the host of the meeting kindly share the SRC's presentation for us? Or if the SRC is able to share it, can it be shared for us, please? Okay. Thank you, Chair. Uh, 
Okay, Anele, just flight the presentation because the president says he's on the picket line. So I doubt if you'll be able to share it with us. But Anele, we've received the presentation. Let's help the SRC with flighting it. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, former president, for, for, for the request. It really is going to assist us. Okay, continue. Uh, as I was saying, so we we have a three-pronged approach. But before I proceed, I, I must... Okay. So I think we're on the first slide now. So can we move to the second slide? And then that's basically uh, the issues we want to discuss broken down there. We have an executive summary which will break down the issues I will be presenting here. And then we have, uh, in that executive summary, thereafter, the, the, the other slide will speak largely to to the uh, context uh, and primarily as it concerns this university because our approach must never forget is two prompt. There's national demands and there's internal demands that we want to make to this university. So the problem is not only at this, but it's also with uh, with national government. And then we, we have a police brutality matter. We have a, a student victimization, academic demands and this demands in general. And then we have recommendations that we make in the end. So can we please proceed to the next slide? I think it's slide three. Uh, under the executive summary, our issues are three-pronged. And the first leg is basically an issue that speaks to the financial crisis. The second leg speaks to academic exclusion. And the third leg speaks to safety and accommodation. So as it regards the first leg uh, on the financial crisis, so when the academic year started, we had 8,142 students who were at financial risk. And uh, I will explain who these students are and categorize them as and when we proceed. And then uh, as it regards academic exclusion, we, we for the first time, and it's our observation as, as, as the VETS RC that 2020 was the hardest year in recent academic history. And for anyone to have survived, more, more so a first year where matriculant to have survived that year, it's almost impossible. And by saying impossible, I mean, for someone to have passed 2020, this they should be given uh, credit and they should be allowed to be readmitted. So we have a number of first years, as it stands currently at this university, who've fallen victim to academic exclusion. And this does not take into account the fact that most of these first years were encountering an online platform for the first time. Some of them are from rural areas, townships, and other downtrodden areas. So some of them could, couldn't even switch on a computer, yet they were expected to compete at the same level as everyone else in an online platform. Right, so our position as the VSSRC as it regards academic exclusion, in particular for the first years, is that no first year from the academic year of 2020 should be excluded. In the event that there were first years that were excluded, uh, in fact, I, there's, a, there's a report, an academics report that we attach here. So the academics report we attach here largely speaks to, it largely speaks to the number of first years that were excluded, the tablers, the, the basic admission committee outcomes that we've set on, and a number of things that, that, that relate in particular to academic exclusion. So this is a document which we will share with uh, Parliament. It's, it's, it's not part of the slideshow at the moment. We made, this we made this projection just for ease purposes. So we would have wanted ease when, when, when we explain this to Parliament. But there's an in-depth report that is also going to be shared with the Secretariat uh, of the Portfolio Committee. And, and it's, it has three legs. It has an overall uh, overlook. It has uh, a financial aspect and it has an academic aspect. And then as it regards safety and accommodation, uh, I think it's it's become common knowledge that safety in Bramfontein has 
has, uh, has, has become a concern, not only of students, but of the city in and of itself. And in an attempts to try and curb uh, gender-based violence and fight cri violent crime in Pramfantein, the SRC last year in November would have taken uh, intervention measures to try and write to the city to have uh, a crime prevention strategy that will keep these, these, these occurrences or these, these, these pandemics in Pram. And among the, among the resolutions we had was to say, uh, as, it start, as, a, as of, I think, the 23rd of Feb, if I'm correct, uh, we've had mobile police stations uh, of the JMPD in Pramfantein to try and fight crime. But on our side, Vets University is yet to put any system addressing one homelessness, which is a contributing factor to, to gender-based violence and crime in the Pramfantein area. Because a lot of our students sleep in libraries and a lot of our students are without accommodation and they fall victim to all these things. So there's been, there's been very little effort, if anything at all, I cannot recall of anything that Vets University has done to try and address, uh, address student homelessness. In fact, even in their presentation, I think they do not speak to this, right? Uh, they speak to what is currently catching fire in the country, which is a defensive approach in my understanding. And we should be expecting better from an institution with the caliber of this. Uh, but I'm not there. Uh, I just want to flag this to parliament to say, safety and homelessness is not only an issue at VETS, but it's an issue in the entire country, right? Uh, at VETS in particular, this issue contributes to violent crime. They have snatch and grabs of phones and headbags in Pramfantein that have become normalized. We have gender-based violence and femicide that has become normalized. And uh, in attempts to fight it, we've collaborated on numerous efforts with the city of Tranisnek, and we, we, we thank them for coming to the board on this. But now to proceed to the next slide, uh, I think it's important that we give uh, context to this, right? Uh, the vice chancellor is correct. Only about 20 to 25% of uh, the vet student population are on NEFSAS. Uh, he is correct on that stat. Uh, but also, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna point out the inconsistencies or the lies, the submissions made by the the vet council, and the vet uh, chair of council and, and and the VC, to parliament, right? Uh, and most of our students are missing middle students, and I must define what a missing middle student because I don't think it's readily everyone who understands what a missing middle student is. So in our understanding, a missing middle student is is, and I do explain in the slideshow. I hope it's it's as clear to everyone who's currently undergoing through it now. There will be an in-depth document which we will share today before the end of business or before this meeting ends. But uh, a missing middle student, just to go back to that definition, is uh, a student who comes from a family that uh, uh, has an income, a household, a combined household income of less than 600,000, but of above 150,000. So to, to cite an example, these are the children of police, nurses, doctors, not doctors, so police, uh, nurses, teachers, and and and. The, the social service workers, if you want to put it in that way, domestic workers, domestic workers don't even fall under this. They fall under the, the NEFSAS cap, so to say. So most of these students that are, we are concerned with here today, uh, the minister correctly points out and the vice chancellor correctly points out, they are the concern, they are the concern of the day, right? And uh, these students have been found to be too poor to, 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 to get NEFSAS and to get loans or any form of funding. I mean, too rich to get NEFSAS and, or any other kind of funding, but yet at the same time, too rich to pay for their own. I mean, too rich to qualify, right? And I do explain this in the slide. Uh, we do explain this in the slide quite clearly. Uh, and I think we must emphasize that it's a lie, right? Uh, from the university's presentation, I tried listening and I was looking at the slide show. 
it's a lie that 97% of the students at this university have registered because I think it should uh, readily come to anyone's senses that if only 3% of the students have not registered, then the university would have opened the blanket approach we've been proposing because there's nothing wrong with you opening up for 3% of the population that is unable to register if 97% of the population is registered. So there's a manipulation of numbers uh, from the university side, and I think it must be readily expected. And uh, as you will see in our recommendations, we do add that we want the university to open its books to the public, and not only to open its books to the public, but to try and be as transparent as, as we possibly can. If we can get someone from the portfolio committee who's gonna take time, at least with uh, an auditing uh, uh, entity, to come and investigate what exactly is happening at BITS, that would be greatly appreciated from our side. But with emphasis, I must say, there's about 6,332 6, uh, students, to be exact, that are at financial risk from the missing middle. And these students are students who do not have anywhere to turn to. Most of them, I must put emphasis and, and, and demonstrate this, most of them have fallen out of uh, the missing middle cap into the NEFSAS cap, but did not get NEFSAS because uh, of the application and whatever it may be. And I'm still going to, to explain the problem with NEFSAS when I get to financial crisis. But most of them would have moved out from the class they were in, that being the missing middle, to the lower working class, which we categorize as, as, as the NEFSAS class. And the move from one class to the other is largely informed by the loss of jobs last year, the loss of livelihoods and lives last year, and the loss in and of itself of, of the economic posture of South Africa, not only South Africa and the world in and of itself. So most students would have been moved from one uh, category to the other. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I will, I, will, I will request that we move to the next slide. I think it's slide number five. So as it regards uh, the financial crisis, which uh, is part of our table of contents, as it regards the financial crisis, uh, we, must, uh, we must emphasize, like, we've seen the numbers already, but I think I must still explain, and I'm, I will explain try and highlight how big the problem is at this university, right? So uh, much as we want an interim intervention, our ultimate solution is free education and the clearing of all student debt. And when I say ultimate, I'm not speaking next year, I'm speaking this year. And this, I'm directing it directly to the portfolio committee, right? Because we can't ask free education from this university, but we can ask the clearing of student debt from this university because when they raise money, uh, the chair of council points out well, that they're raising three billion, three billion rands towards the, the centenary campaign. And we tried raising money uh, through a campaign, I think most of you would have been aware of it by now, through a campaign called the 21 million in 2021. And in our attempts to raise money, whenever we'd approach corporate or civil society, the response we would get is to say, we've already donated to VETS. And when VETS approached us, the Department of Fundraising came to us and said, we are raising this money for student historical debt. We are raising this money for students who are in need. So they raise money in the name of students, yet the money never really touches the lives in the sense or in the understanding that we would all want it to. So by this, just to demonstrate, Bates University will go and raise money. Last year, Native Cash, I think, made a donation of 150 million rands. Not a cent of that money went to funding any historical or student debt. And I must, I'm gonna to speak to the 100 million that was touched by, by the VC to say they make 100 million every year. Uh, towards contributions towards uh, student debt or student uh, financial crisis on campus. And I'll, I'll try and explain and demonstrate how this is a lie, right? And uh, fine, we will proceed uh, now on the same slide, on the same slide. So uh, we, we tried, as I did mention, to say, look, 
we've tried negotiating with the university. The vice chancellor is correct. We've had numerous meetings. And all, in all these meetings, we've been met with sheer arrogance by the senior executive team. None of the demands we've returned to the senior executive team have been met or have been addressed in the adequate manner we would want them to, to, to be addressed. We've written about 15 demands, not even a single one was agreed to. The one to extend the, academic, I mean, the registration was not even a demand that they, they saw fit to, uh, to extend, but this was a demand they saw as needed to be, to be implemented because this could have meant that uh, Vets University could lose a third of its population. And by a third, I mean 8,000 is probably 20%, I think, of, of, of the, the 38,000 to 40,000 of the students that are at Vets. And if Vets would have lost that, uh, that many students, uh, even the, 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 the subsidies would have bailed out on Vets universities. Right? And by here, with this, I refer to corporate and private subsidies or donors in particular to Vets University, because most of them, they fund VETS based on the research uh, intensive in the on the research intensive posture uh, VETS has posited, right? So, uh, so it's fine. Uh, I'm being advised now that comrades on the picket line are moving to court, and I will I will join them much later because I think it's, it's paramount that we make this presentation. Uh, just to further explain uh, the figures among the six thousand financially uh, six thousand plus financially at risk students. Most of these students are final year students who are going to contribute to our, our economic development uh, initiative driven, uh, I mean, um, our economic development uh, posture as a country and other, sex, other sectors of society. And if government at this point or the portfolio committee in particular does not pressurize this to save these graduates, then we're going to find ourselves in a problem we can't resolve. So I'm speaking about engineers here, I'm speaking about medical doctors, who have lost their academic year. I'm speaking about uh, uh, lawyers, potential lawyers, economists, and, and, and trade lawyers. We, we've just recently uh, ratified the, the African Free Trade Agreement. And if we don't have the necessary skills, South Africa won't be in a position to capitalize or to benefit from this as best as it can. So I want to implore the cabinet in particular and uh, the portfolio, committee to, the portfolio committee to be to be the one that advances our position in this. I'm glad that there are student leaders who are in the committee who are fighting hard, uh, even though it's not seen, but who are fighting hard to ensure that our demands, and in particular free education, will be realized at some point. And by some point, we're referring to this year, not to some other particular year. So just to proceed, uh, I have cited uh, a few examples here of the cost breakdown at this university. An average degree, the cheapest degree at Vets University is 44,000 rand. And that's a PA degree, it's the cheapest on campus. And the most expensive degree is 250,000 rand. I think there's universities in this country, and I'm trying to expose the exorbitant nature of fees at Vets University. And I think uh, in some universities, probably the most expensive degree is 44,000. Uh, and Vets University has the cheapest degree being 44,000. So, and this does not necessarily call for the standard, which is a call we will make at some point, but it does not call for the immediate standardization of fees across the sector from one university to the next. But at this point in time, we're trying to advance this, this argument to try and ensure that our students are able to register because uh, very few people have 50% of 44,000 sitting around. And this university requires you to be able to pay 50% of the debt that you owe for you to be able to proceed with the financial or the academic year. And then uh, as it regards uh, courses, on average, a course at Vets University, that's one single subject 
one module per se or to put it in different ways. On average, one course at Vets University costs around the range of 5,000 rand and the most expensive course is 60,000 rand. It's a course at med schools. So this is one course. So meaning there's people who pay for about six courses that relate to this, uh, to this fee. And I'm going to address the, 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 the inconsistency or the, the cover-up that was raised as it regards uh, the fee rebates of last year. Uh, but I, I'm not there for now. I'm still going to speak to the financial crisis. And then on accommodation, we have among the most accommodation, uh, I mean, among, among the most expensive accommodation areas in the country. Uh, it's a hotel, to say the least. And when I say it's a hotel, to say the least, I mean uh, the cheapest accommodation at Vets University, that's a sharing room. It's 48,000 rand. To share a room at Vets University with two other people is 48,000 rand. And the most expensive is 98,000 rand, that being uh, the international students' uh, accommodation area. And really combined these fees, they're still dining hall meals, which I could not project here because I couldn't get the figures and I didn't want to lie. So uh, if you take this entire cost and you break it down or you put it in one, and then you say a student whose mother is a teacher must pay 50% for them to be able to register and come back into the 2021 academic year. It's really immoral to say the least. Uh, but as, as and when I, I proceed, I'll also speak to the, to the police brutality that has been used to address or as a response to this, right, to the problem that we've, we've all uh, so clearly identified. So I will request at this point that we move to the next slide. And we, 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 the next slide still speaks to, to financial crisis, which I think must, must, must be uh, addressed with the rigor it deserves. So uh, perhaps, perhaps in view of what I've just, in view of, of what I've just raised here, uh, the, the protests in Bramfontein and across the country are justified. And by justified, I mean, uh, there's very few people, as I did say, given the number or the, the breakdown of the, the money students are supposed to pay to this university, there's very few students who are left with anywhere to go to. They're left with the picket line and they have nowhere to go to. And as it has been pointed out, most of our students are not necessarily on NEFSAS, they're in the missing middle. But the ones on NEFSAS, about 6% of them, right, of the 20 25%, about 6% on the, of them are on the capped uh, NEFSAS dispensation. So by the capped NEFSAS dispensation, just to break it down, it means these are students who got NEFSAS before 2018, before it was declared a grant, when it was still alone, right? And when NEFSAS was still alone, it meant that they would give you a loan of about 93K, I think, uh, for VETS. And when they'd give you that loan of 93K, anything that goes beyond those fees, you would have to see to settle it yourself. What this has done is it has seen so many NEFSAS graduates from VETS University being unable to graduate because their degrees are withheld by the university and they are unable to, to, to graduate because of, because of historical debt. So there's a position that has been advanced by Vets University to say, if you owe 15,000 or less, you won't be allowed to register. And again, to speak to, 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 to the hardship, to the hardship, uh, hardship fund that we, we refer to here, yes, there's been a collaborative effort, and this is an effort that started four years back. So it mu there must not be a, misrepresenta a misrepresentation to say the hardship fund was introduced this year. It was introduced four years back, uh, I think, uh, under the leadership of President uh, Kevin Semkari. And when it was introduced, it was basically a measure to try and, to try and address the financial crisis that uh, emanate on campus. 
And what the hardship committee basically does is it helps students who are unable to pay the 50%, pay the 50%, right? So it settles the 50% for them. And this is the hardship committee that has existed for over the years. And over the years, uh, the budget varies. So when it started, the budget was 10K. Uh, and the following year, the budget was 18K, I mean, 18 million, not 10K. When it started, the, the budget was 10 million. In the following year, it was 17, 18 million. Uh, as of recent, last year, I think the budget was, so it has a fluctuating budget depending on the year. Last year's budget was 17 million rand. And the budget for this year has been, has been 10 million rand. <clears throat> and the VC, to cover this up, has uh, created a fund and arrogantly named it after himself or his office. And he calls it the Vice Chancellor's COVID Relief Fund. Yesterday, we were in, in a meeting with the Vice Chancellor and we asked how are funds going to be distributed uh, through this COVID relief fund. We welcome the fund, but it still does not address the primary genesis of our problems. But even if we do welcome it, we need to know how to tell students to apply for it. And no explanation was given. The explanation that was given was to say, this fund will be distributed at the discretion of the, of the CFO. And that being Mr. Prakash Desai, who I think is in this meeting. So at his discretion, he will choose which student he funds and which student he doesn't fund. And his discretion at this point has not been effective because there's no student who's, who have met on the picket line who's saying, uh, President, I've registered uh, because of the COVID relief fund. They can't even apply for this fund. There's not even a link or anything. So it's a fund that exists in the sky that is there for media narrative, right? And I must emphasize this because there's going to be a false narrative that is driven to say Vets University is actually doing something when it's not. And I want to commend the progressive institutions that being UCT and UWC, for taking the posture they've taken towards the financial crisis faced by students in the country. And by this, I mean UWC went out and posited and made a posture, say, look, we'll allow every student to register. UCT did the same thing. Even in their statement, they do refer to, to, to the drama that happens in Pramfantin to say, look, given the crises that are faced by students in, in the country, and in particular, the, uh, the protests happening in Pramfantin, we're going to allow our students to continue with class this year and everyone has taken a knock and they are playing their societal rooms. And just on the side, I, I must emphasize that it's quite heartbreaking that it's academics who are at the forefront of academic exclusion in our country, right? And with academics, it's government, right? But I, I'm not there, I, I, I'm, I'm going to proceed. So our position, as I did say, is to say, we want uh, the position of UCT and UWC to be mirrored, right? by the Vets Council. And then uh, just to speak again to, I think I would have wanted to speak to uh, on the financial crisis before I proceed to the, to, to, to the next slide, which I think is police brutality. But I would have wanted to speak to the issue of the issue of the 100 million Vets University claims to give to students. So there's something called the discretionary fund at Vets University. This is not money that is made up or convened by council. This is money that comes from donors outside. And this money usually ranges around the ranges of 100 million rand to 150 million rand, right? So they're not claiming their credit enough if they are claiming any credit at all, so, uh, or claiming the easy victory. But this is money that comes from donors. So Deloitte, uh, KPMG, or any other company will come to Vets University, a lot of them, or even discover, they'll come to Vets University and say, look, we want to fund uh, 10 med students or 10 accounting students. We're donating this much. And they'll say, look, we want to sign an agreement of three years 
and we'll be donating this month, this much for the next three years. And they'll donate that money for the next three years and will amount roughly to the range of about 100 to 150 million rand. And that money will be distributed at the discretion of the donor. Not the SRC, no council, no any structure of the university has discretion on how that money is to be distributed. So if tomorrow discovery comes and it says, okay, fine, where is my money? We will point the finger to where to the student that has been assisted because uh, discovery would have chosen that student who meets the criteria discovery sets up to, to, to be funded. So that 100 million that is claimed is an easy victory, which I think, in fact, more than anything, we're supposed to say, no, we thank this particular company uh, we thank this small, uh, micro or medium-sized company for contributing to the plight of our people. So I wanted to address that 100 million. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's an unfortunate uh, lie that can be posited and misinterpreted in the in the in the public uh, in the public eye. So I request that we, we move to the next slide now. So I, it's unfortunate that this is now being discussed in Parliament. We saw what happened to Andre Tatane. We've seen how protesters have been treated, black protesters in particular, and poor protesters who are protesting for the most basic rights. Uh, not long ago, there were people who were blocking a road with their cars, and they were storm, storming on top of a police nyala and attacking it. And the response they got was to be taken pictures by police officers. But in Bramfontein, a civilian, uh, by the name of Mtogos Sintumba, whom I think by now you would be aware of, was killed, shot dead by police officers. Someone who was coming out of a hospital, a clinic, was there to fetch their medication. Uh, the state and vet university decided to kill this person. And when I say the state and vet university decided to kill this person, it's because vet university contributes, on the first hand, contributes to the killing of Mtogos Sintumba by locking its doors for students to protest on campus. We are left with no choice but to protest in Bramfontein. It's even impossible for first years or for the average mother who comes to vet university to come and help their daughter or their son with registration to even do that because when you get to the gate, you are asked who your great-grandmother was, how to relate to this institution before you can even get access to it. Right? And if you are not from the right uh, family of the great-grandmothers, you, uh, you are then going to find yourself in a position of being unable to access campus. As I speak to you now, I myself as the SRC president have very limited access to vet university. And when I say very limited access, I access campus merely on the basis of a few security cards that know me and say, look, we know you president, please go in and please be quick to come out because I run the risk of losing my job if they see you inside campus. And yet uh, the bulk majority of these students are expected to perform online learning. And I'll expand on this when I get to, 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 to academics. But I'm just citing the fact that the passing of Mtogos Sintumba is a, is a, a result of, of Vet University locking its doors uh, to students and students being left with no choice but to protest in Pram. But more than anything, uh, the response from the state to shoot students uh, and in an attempt to shoot students, killing a civilian, is a response that I think must be condemned and not only condemned, there must be consequences for it. People need to be brought to justice. The ministry itself and not only the police officers that did the killing, the ministry itself must be brought to justice. Bates University itself must be a joint respondent in this matter in the court. In court. So uh, we've since requested uh, the, the, the state prosecutor to say, look, we want Bates University to be amongst the respondents on this matter of the killing of Mtogos Sintum. Because through common purpose, we think they do contribute. 
right. Through common peoples, they do contribute into the killing of Mtokos and Tumba. Uh, to proceed a bit, uh, I think I do explain uh, with greater detail in the previous slide as to what Mtokos' last words were. Right, his last words were, why am I being shot? I'm from the hospital and the police officers gunned them down. And what's even more heartbreaking is to say, uh, the spokesperson of SAPS went out and said, we did not kill him, we didn't shoot the, the person, we don't know how he died. And unfortunately, we were quick to get the CCTV, the CCTV camera from the shops nearby, and we released it to the public. Only then what did it seem like Mtogosis would find justice. And to explain a bit further, we have students who sleep and spend days in prisons, two of whom tonight will be spending the night in Sun City due to police brutality and due to the way in which protest is being dealt with. There's a scare tactic or an intimidation tactic that is being used uh, among student protests to militarize and to intimidate student leaders to, to, to not protest or, not to, or, or to not stand up to what they think is right, right. And I think the portfolio committee, this portfolio committee in particular, has a responsibility, a historical responsibility to ensure that the fight against the fight against police brutality and austerity is championed and is, 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 is something, is, it's something of the past. We can't be fighting gender-based violence, fighting violent crime, and fighting police at the same time. It's just not possible. So, uh, and we want, we call for, we want the, 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 the portfolio committee to, to tell the university to remove police on our campus. This is not conducive to our learning. It's not conducive to our access to campus. And not only is it not conducive, but it's intimidating. It's a scare tactic. Because every time when you walk on campus, and it's unfortunate that it's the black race or the poor people that fall victim to this. When you walk on campus, police make intimidating uh, remarks. Police make intimidating uh, I, I, remarks, I so, so to say, sorry. And, and, and it's, 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 quite, it's quite threatening, not only to us, but to the average student who does not even care about protest or anything else. So can we, can we proceed to the, to the next slide? Now, uh, I just spoke to, to this, I think briefly in the previous slide, to student victimization. There's been a deliberate uh, attempt at isolating student leaders at Vets University, and I think it needs to be called out. And by deliberate attempt, I mean, we have SRC members that have been suspended, and for a number of days, they were without accommodation because the university had even kicked them out and changed their locks. But more than that, we have over 10 students that have been arrested over the past uh, two weeks that we've been protesting. And it's quite alarming that not a single, uh, not a single person from civil society or a building had been threatened or intimidated. In fact, more than anything, this has been, I think, among the most peaceful protests yet we have police brutality and sheer arrogance from the ministry and the university that is, trying to, that is trying to intimidate and isolate student leaders. Now, I must mention this. You're not only killing us, but you're killing an entire generation. And when I say you're killing an entire generation, you can't expect me tomorrow to go and represent the country in Africa or to go and represent the country in the rest of the world if I am afraid of isolation and victimization because the traumatic experience is so deeply engraved in my head. So we're not only killing the student leaders in this regard, we're killing the country in and of itself. Uh, so I did speak at length at this in the previous slide. So I request that we move to the next slide. So uh, as, it, as it regards uh, 
the academic crisis on campus, there's a, there's a report, uh, it's Appendix A, we refer to it as Appendix A, that is attached and uh, at the time and privilege of uh, the portfolio committee members, it will be perused through by them. Uh, I would not want to go through it in detail here because we will, not, we will not finish and I understand we have limited time. But that report basically speaks to first, uh, the first years that have fallen victim to academic exclusion. And when I say the first years uh, that have fallen victim to academic exclusion, most of these first years did not even know or had prior experience of a computer, right? And we request that uh, these students who were excluded last year, they be sent communication to say, look, you must return to the university and take your second shot because most of them will end up doing drugs and crime because they would have thought they failed at university the first time and they are not at university material. It's easy for first years to defer or for first years to, to lose focus. And if the, correct, if, not, if the correct systems are not put in place to try and assist these first years, are going to find ourselves in a problem we don't want to find ourselves in as a, as a country. And then second, we want the academic year to be halted, want the academic year to stop. So at West University, things currently are proceeding as, norm, as though it's normal. Uh, Zeblon Villarazi and Isaac Shongo have decided they're going to proceed with the academic year, even though we still have students that are not registered. Uh, according to, to, to the report that was read here, it's only 3%. If it's only 3%, these students then indeed should be registered. But if it's not 3%, then the portfolio committee needs to start asking questions. How many percent is it? Because if it was 3%, 3% of 38,000, I think, if my math serves me well, it's less than 1,000. Uh, I'm not a mathematician, but if my math serves me well, I think it's less than 1,000, 700 or so. And if it's less than 700 people, the university in raising money towards the centenary, it can always settle that debt, or it can have payment arrangement plans with these particular students, and these students would be in a position to sign the AOT. But to, re to return to the academic program, uh, most of these students are being left behind because class is continuing online this time around, and not necessarily physically. So meaning they don't have access to the link or everything. So, even, so this also means that even the extension of registration uh, for these students is useless because they still can't attend or have access to any learning material. So uh, that's, that's what we want to, 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 to address. And in our position, we did mention our state because we, we've consulted the university finance manager, we've consulted the university FASO manager, financial aid and scholarships, and we've consulted the students themselves. And the number is uh, over 6,000, uh, just over 6,000, 6,332 students have not registered. And it will, be the, it will be an apartheid style form of exclusion, right? To say, because you come from a poor family, no matter how smart you are, how good you are, you can't access the doors of learning. You must not remember what uh, used to happen to our people in these institutions in the past. They're previously white, and we must call them out if they are going to maintain their historically white posture. Right? And access to these institutions must be granted to our people. People died for us to have access to these institutions. And the fact that I do not come from a well enough family does not mean I must not be able to access higher education in our country. Uh, I request that you move to the next slide. And at the pleasure of Parliament or the Portfolio Committee, I request that uh, you do look at the Appendix A that I referred to. It's a very short document. It's a 15-page document, a 15-page document which you will be able to read at your own spare time. Uh, and then, as it regards the recommendations, we want the Declaration of Free Education and the appeal to be passed by Parliament to be within the next uh, 12 months. So we are submitting now before the Portfolio Committee that you, comrades 
must within the next 12 months have a piece that will say, look, this is free education, it must be passed in parliament, right? And I know this might fall to deaf ears. And when I say it must, it might fall to deaf ears, I mean, it might not be implemented. And by not be implemented, it might be a pacifier to the entire thing we're doing at this point. But we're trying to work with you and be realistic here. But the declaration of free education must be made and it must be pronounced by the president of the country and by the minister of head to say, we are working on a free education bill and it should be ready within the next 12 months, right? And we request the portfolio committee to do that. And then as an, as an in, interim uh, intervention strategy, we want NEFSAS uh, to give us stricter timelines. Uh, right? We can't say, me? Uh, have, you, have you lost me? Hello? Um, we can hear you, President. I think the chair was trying to indicate that he can't hear you. Um, oh. I think the challenge may be on your side, but as far as I know, we can we can hear the president. Okay. No, uh, please bear with me, comrades. I'm about to finish. I think this is the second last slide. So, uh, and then the executive of the SRC, I'm with the deputy president. She will add, uh, and then uh, the executive of the SRC will add where, 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 where we've left out, they'll speak to the appendixes that are there. Uh, but just to proceed again, uh, we request also as a part, part of our recommendations, and this would have been an issue that we speak to on academics in the appendix A that I refer to, to say every student who's been granted access into VET University and is in need of a laptop must be granted that laptop. There's first years that I've spoken to on several occasions, even on the picket line, as I referred earlier, the students who are saying to me, look, president, I don't even have a smartphone to access class, right? And I'm expected to compete online and labs are only open for three to four hours a day. And you expect that student to compete with someone who has access to unlimited Wi-Fi, who has access to a MacBook, and who has access to unlimited resources to study. So you are literally setting up our people for failure, right? So we want uh, the, 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 the co committee to address that and to pressure other universities, not only VETS, to halt their academic program. Things can't go on as normal. We're going to have a lot of casualties, and by a lot of casualties, it's no longer going to be about the students who are affected, but it's going to be about the families in rural Lusigisigi, the families in Mtanzani, the families in, in Soweto, the families in uh, Harankua, the families in rural Muleji, the families in uh, Skumanstal and Pumalang, the families in uh, Northwest Solplash. So if we don't address this, there's people who are counting on these students that are here, some of whom who will never get this, to meet these students. So uh, that's among our recommendations. I request that we move to the last slide. So, and then as it regards also our recommendations, this speaks to today's occurrences in particular. We want uh, justice to be found from Togo's Zintumba. And uh, a report must be released to the public on what happened exactly. Right uh, by the Ministry of uh, of Police, what happened to Mtogozi and what was the finding? Because if these things are not reported, there's a level of sensitization, right? Uh, and when I say sensitization, there's a level or an attempt, a deliberate attempt to hide the, the mistakes and failures of what uh, police do to protesters in particular. I'm not asking for a commission of inquiry because we know it's going to be a project that runs for five years and after five years we will have forgotten. We want the, a pronouncement by the ministry on proceedings of the case and what happened to Mtogos in Tumba and so forth. And we want them to retract their statement in saying that 
they didn't kill him because in Tumba, whereas the CCTV camera saw, uh, shows otherwise. And we want uh, the portfolio committee, the portfolio committee, to to summon our VC, the vice chancellor of this university, to account for his poor handling of this situation, right, and the victimization of student leaders. Uh, and he must not be called alone. He must be called with his senior executive team. Um, and then a joint portfolio committee. We want a joint portfolio committee with policing uh, to address how protest is dealt with and to remove from all protest rubber bullets. We've seen with Andris Tatan, we've seen with Mchogos uh, Zintumba uh, now, that rubber bullets can actually take a life. I don't, know, I don't know how many more lives must be lost to, 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 to see that rubber bullets are actually deadly. And then uh, on Monday, I think, in fact, where the situation of a girl, a student leader who was shot on the lake and the, the rubber bullet, I'm hoping it's a rubber bullet. It doesn't seem like it was a rubber bullet. It seems like a live ammunition. A rubber bullet went through her knee from one end to the other. And some of you might have seen the visuals. They're quite scary. I didn't want to share them in this presentation because I understand some of us might be a bit sensitive. And then uh, lastly, as our last point, uh, we, would want, we would want for the review of higher education policies that are inherently exclusionary. So uh, I apologize. This was probably a rushed presentation or it was not uh, to the tier or to the best uh, uh, expectation that you might have had, but I hope I touched to as many issues as uh, I possibly should have on this one. And I hope the portfolio committee is clear. I, I thank you for taking time to listen to us, and I hope our demands will be addressed and our request rather will be addressed with the with the seriousness and the agency that is needed before we lose more lives. Uh, TP, do you wish to add anything? Uh, the deputy president, okay, will 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 add, and then the deputy president will add to what I said, and then. From there on, we will we will wrap it up. Okay. Um, thank uh, you so much for the opportunity. I think it's also important to highlight that the reason why we are fighting financial exclusion is because we find ourselves in the same position that we are in now, mainly because the university is a major contributing factor. When we were told in March to vacate, mainly because of COVID, we must go back home. The university continued to charge students. And when we were fighting for reinvestment, the university was only committed to giving us 25%. So in a room that costs 86,000 per year, the university was only committed to give us 25%. So the remaining um, 60 something thousand remained with the university. And they said that we must pay for that money. And people were found in a position where they couldn't even pay for that amount of money. And if you could not pay for that 60-something thousand, you were going to be excluded for money that you never used, for resources you never used, for cleaning services you never used, for electricity and water you never used. So it's important to highlight that most of the students that are at the verge of being financially excluded, that has a hand there. If they fully reinvest students 100% of their money, I don't think we would be in the position that we are in today. And I would like to speak to the dishonesty of the university. Yesterday, we had a meeting with the senior executive team, and we were quoting the spokesperson of this by saying that um, the spokesperson was saying in radio and media that only 5% of students have not yet registered. And I'm seeing now on the slides, they are saying that 97% of students have registered. If really and truly these numbers are correct. It means that the university is in a position to at least subsidize the 3% students that are there. 
one of the things they said they are willing to do to make sure that students register is to say that the students that apply for Hachi Fund are going to be registered or are going to be allowed to register. And we can take a list of students if they come to our offices and bring it to them. And we're saying that if we were to post on social media to say every student that has not registered, they must come to the SRC offices to come register and go forward that list. The process is being longer, meaning that the university is in a position to pay or help the students to register. It's just that they want to take longer processes and they are trying to introduce bureaucracy in the whole entire system. So we would like to believe as the SRC that the university is indeed in a position to um, allow everyone to register. It's just that they want us to take longer, yet these are causing delays to students that have not really started with their academic year. So with that said, I'm going to allow the treasurer of the SRC to add on what I've left out, I submit. No, thank you so much, colleagues. I think you've done a great part in touching base on what I would have wanted to speak on, but I just want to speak on the university's uh, presentation on the state of readiness. I think we have expressed as the SRC that we are not ready to proceed or commence with the academic year because as it stands, the 30 gigabyte it's that the vice chancellor is even proud to present to the portfolio committee, we must state that it is restricted. So it does not grant students access to all the necessary sites that they would need to obviously complete their research. But not only does it stop there, the level of incompetence displayed by the university in the provision of data is, is, is appalling in the sense that the data provided can't even access Canvas or Uluazi, which is the site where students are expected to go and learn. So it is quite appalling that the university wants to be proud of the fact that they've provided data. But on the other hand, the data that they provided to students does not actually grant them access to the sites that are being made available by the university for online uh, teaching and learning. Um, I also want to speak to residences, right? So there was a, a blunder from Rest Life, and I would have raised it with the Dean of Students, who had promised me that he was going to try and make sure that the issue is attended to. And it is appalling that till to date, if it was not for our intervention with the cluster manager, Nazim Randera, uh, we were going to have a huge crisis in Rest Life because uh, more first years were called to come and sign into their residences. They made the necessary payments and upon arrival, they were told the residence is full and they have nowhere to go. And this was just a day before they could actually commence with their academic year. And that problem is still persistent. And I can confidently say that because NESFAS had not granted most first years funding, the only option they had at the time was on-campus residences. And uh, till to date, they still do not have shelter or a place to stay and the academic program continues, yet they do not have access to the necessary tools to continue participating in this form of online teaching and learning. The, the same process, again, I think the minister begs this up well when he proposes to universities South Africa that he calls on all institutions of higher learning to extend registration because he, he foresaw that institutions themselves were not ready to begin with a year. I say this uh, because the university had given so many offers to students in the health faculty or in the health discipline. They, they accepted the firm offers, made the necessary payments. And just when they were about to register, 
they were again told that there aren't spaces and as such they would have to be redirected to other uh, courses which they hadn't obviously planned on studying or they would obviously be redirected to other institutions of higher learning. So till today, there are students who were given firm offers by the university, made the necessary payments, and they have been registered because of the administrative glitches that are, you know, are being presented by the institution. And the last point on the state of readiness is Uluazi. So our first years are now faced with a challenge of not only dealing with the transition from high school to higher education, but they're also faced with the transition from physical or contact learning to online learning. And the university has not made adequate resources to induct this first years on Uluazi. So you've got a pool of students. Fortunately, my suspension has also given me another task. A large pool of students coming to our rooms as house committees and they're going as far as saying, look, um, how do we actually use this online mode of learning? How do we access it? We are expected to make submissions on this day, but we haven't even been taught anything or we haven't attended classes. So I think I just want to highlight to the portfolio committee and to the university as well. And the chair of council who is briefed by the university, but never briefed by the SRC on what is exactly happening on campus to say the institution on its own is not ready to proceed with the academic year. And we would propose that let's get uh, our students equipped, let's get them inducted so that this form of online learning and teaching is one which is not exclusionary or is not one which is oppressive to them, but is one which uh, they can participate and engage in without experiencing any glitches. Lastly, uh, this is a response to the presentation made by the university. We would want to interrogate as the SRC as to how was the data collected? That is number one. Two, which mechanisms were adopted to verify the data which is being presented before the portfolio committee? I say this because we are being told that the, the exact, what is the exact figure actually of this 3% that is being presented to us? I say this because the university before the 12th of March, they date, they claim that, um, you know, that is when they gathered uh, the information. They made a presentation to the SRC when they were stating that they need something which is around 297 million rand to ensure that all students are allowed to actually come to the system. And as per our calculations, they would know that at the time, the figure we were speaking about was not even 3%. So this uh, defensive mechanism by the university to uh, sell a dream that there is no financial crisis in the institution is, is uncalled for. And we believe that we, we have to be at the helm of ensuring that we present to this parliament of our own credible information, information that is going to assist South Africans in understanding the problem that we are faced with in institutions of higher learning. Thank you so much. All right, thank you very much. I think uh, you, you have really given us uh, the overall perspective from the from the side of the leadership of the students and the students uh, we have gone way beyond the time that has been allocated but i think uh, we we have benefited a lot from your engagement and your presentation let's go to saus uh, uh, to get a national perspective from the from the side of the SRCs. Uh, I don't know who's going to present uh, 
I see the president Mugabe is uh, on the platform. I don't know who has been assigned to do that. We have run terribly out of time, but we will still allow you to uh, to finish your presentation in the time that you have been allocated. Uh, yeah, thank may, you very much. And maybe before you come in, Mugabe, yeah, we may have to request uh, the deputy minister uh, to um, find a way of moving your meeting at one o'clock because it's quite clear that we won't be finished by one. We're targeted to be finished with the issues of higher education by one o'clock. But uh, given the flow of the discussions, uh, it's quite clear that we're not going to be done by one. So please try and move that meeting so that all of us are here. Uh, all the stakeholders are in this meeting. So there is no need uh, to rush to another meeting. So let's try and move that one so that we do justice to the issues at hand. Um, uh, I'm sure DM, you are listening. Yes, I am, Chair. Unfortunately, I mean, all, what we have here is only the, um, the vice chancellors and the student leadership, uh, but the task team comprises of more than uh, uh, those. Um, yeah, so given, given the fact that there are more stakeholders uh, who are supposed to attend that meeting, uh, I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge to extend, uh, I mean, to, to move the meeting. Uh, and also that it will have a knock-on effect on 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 the other engagements. Um, yeah, I think that's the challenge we are ourselves. Who are the other ones? Who are the other uh, stakeholders? Well, it's the TVET uh, uh, stakeholders, uh, both the uh, students and the um, and the leadership, and also the trade unions uh, who are part of the uh, task team. Just but a few. Um, yeah. So, will they have a problem if they are told that uh, uh, the meeting is moved by another hour so that we can finish here in this discussion? I mean, it's not every day that the portfolio committee finds time to have this type of engagements. Um, I think it's going to be a reasonable request. Uh, to them that uh, let's let them give us another hour so that we are able to finish here or maybe even one and a half hour well we can check chair but uh, 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 yeah and then we can uh, come to you just in the course of this presentation but we'd really okay. like that on time okay please do that is our request to you deputy minister we don't always find time to have the stakeholders that we have now and we don't want to rush the discussions as well. So I'm sure the other stakeholders will understand that we're in this meeting and what we are also seized with the issues that they will be dealing with. Not that we'd undermine their meeting, but we would like to be given enough time to finish this one. Uh, go ahead, uh, Mugabe. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. I want to greet you. Uh, Honorable Mapulani, the chair of the Portfolio Committee on Higher Education. I also want to extend the greeting to other members of the Portfolio Committee. Uh, I do know Honorable Mkachwa, uh, Honorable Let's say, and uh, 
Honorable uh, Manani said other members. I, I, I wondered, I don't know, Chair, I arrived late, but I asked Anele to know some of the replacements that were made for Comrade Notata and uh, the other Honorable Member uh, Ketze, uh, 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 who used to be in this committee. Uh, I want to greet all the other stakeholders that are here present, the deputy minister and the ministry and uh, uh, other officials of the department and uh, other institutions that are present. I see that there are more than 50 people who are in this meeting. Yeah. But Chair, I have titled this presentation the 2021 academic year. And uh, I will, instead of the 30 minutes that I was given, I'll try to finish it before that. Uh, because I've seen that there is a stretch of time already uh, for the for the committee, so I'll try to finish it before 30 minutes, and uh, ensure that you are able to get enough time for for discussions and uh, and deliberations. <clears throat> now, as a way of introduction, chair, you would know that uh, uh, we have been raising a lot of concerns starting from November last, last year, that uh, there seems to be no discussions in preparation for the 2021 academic year, uh, specifically on two key issues that uh, in previous years, the DHET funding guidelines are discussed towards end of year in preparation for the coming year, and they are rolled out for implementation. But now, some institutions have started the 2021 academic year. The guidelines are not yet uh, delivered to universities. And these guidelines are usually presented to uh, student leadership for indulgence before they are then, uh, before they receive uh, concurrence and uh, uh, signed off to universities. And that, that has not been done, which might be one of the genesis of the crisis that we have now. The second part is that they usually a uh, registrar's planning meeting that is organized uh, where in South then is invited to present to university registrars who manage registration so that they prepare themselves for the coming registration period. Now registration has been opened for the 2021 academic year. That meeting never happened, which is very strange uh, to us, uh, we thought that this year it would have been even easier to host that meeting because it was just going to be virtually where we connect wherever we are and engage university registrars on the preparation for the 2021 academic year. That did not happen. So it's one of the genesis of the crisis we have currently in the higher education sector that two traditional activities that are usually done to prepare for a smooth academic uh, uh, academic year uh, were not uh, were not done for the 2021 academic year, but also to indicate Chair, that uh, the protest started already in February at UKZN Vets and UNISA, and when we picked that uh, these protests started, other SRCs were already putting pressure on us because they were facing similar problems. And the meeting was then uh, organized with all invest SRCs on the 8th of March. And that meeting gave us a mandate that we must submit a memorandum of 15 demands to the minister. 
which we have done so. And when we submitted the memorandum of, of, uh, of demands, a meeting was further convened uh, by South on the 13th and 14th of March to discuss with the DHT, USAF, and NSFAS on these 15 demands that we submitted. Uh, I can indicate, Chair, to this committee that the responses that uh, we received were unsatisfactory. And as a result, a national shutdown was declared starting from the 15th of March, 2021. The 15 demands that we submitted to the minister are divided into two for purposes of this presentation to the committee. That is financial exclusion, which is one, and the second one is uh, academic exclusion. Now I will go through uh, to unpack this uh, within a short time. Financial, I'll start with financial exclusion, Chair. The first one, which is uh, the big elephant, I call it the big elephant because that is the most troubling one. It troubles not only the students, but it troubles also universities. When we engaged with USAF, they also indicated to us that uh, uh, this issue of student debt is also troubling them. And uh, uh, I'm sure it's also troubling you as a portfolio committee. Same way is troubling uh, uh, the, the ministry. That there's a 13 billion student debt uh, as per our information currently. And uh, uh, the, the discussion we have then is that uh, uh, our family is able to uh, pay something considering that we're under a pandemic as being demanded by universities. And uh, the answer we have is that it's not possible for families to pay something uh, the percentages that universities are, are demanding. Now, that's why we are then uh, uh, putting that as part of the demands we are proposing to universities, uh, that uh, uh, there is need, a need for, for, for the clearance of these debts uh, as a lasting solution, but uh, temporarily as well to unblock the students who are owing so that they are allowed to register. That is a matter we have raised uh, to the department, we have raised it to vice chancellors, and we have also indicated that uh, UWC has set a good example that other institutions can follow the suit to see into it that students are able uh, to, uh, to register for the 2021 academic year. This year is, is, uh, is, is, is a difficult year. Uh, it's a challenging year because of uh, the pandemic. It affected everyone. Uh, when you look at the, the reports from the uh, uh, statistics South Africa, you see that uh, unemployment is rising, people are losing jobs, they are losing source of income. It's difficult, mate. The second one, of course, uh, is a free reg registration. It's related to the first one, but then some institutions, they are demanding a lot of uh, minimum initial payment for students to pay, which is very difficult uh, for this academic year. And hence, we are requesting that institutions then proceed with uh, ensuring that there is free registration for all the students. Postgraduate funding is one of the issues that we have raised uh, with the institutions that postgraduates are not looked after. Uh, they are not looked after the same way a missing middle is not looked after. Uh, and as a result, uh, it's uh, not inconsistent with uh, uh, the vision uh, outlined in the National Development Plan of producing a new generation of academics by 2030. And if you don't fund postgraduates, you are going to have a crisis uh, in, uh, just in the near future. Uh, in fact, uh, 
what we're arguing then is that if as students were on NSFAS uh, all these years and they are proceeding to postgraduate level, let them be continued to be funded by NSFAS for their postgraduate studies because their status would not have changed within their transition from honors to masters, from undergraduate to honors and so on. <clears throat> Funding for F10s is also a, an issue that we raised, which seems to be is being resolved currently, but some universities are insisting that they will not register new students until they get funding confirmation for these students, something that we are still dealing with. Zero percent fee increase is another issue we are raising. I'm sure you would agree uh, uh, that uh, uh, with the current challenges we are facing, it's, it's not uh, fair for universities to increase fees. But what is more worse is that uh, some universities are even increased above what others are doing. And it's a very, very problematic issue that we are raising. But the demand from student leadership is that we want a 0% fee increase for the 2021 academic year. A free education is a, a long-time struggle that students continue to raise and is coming up again for the 2021 academic year. Uh, that is important then to consider uh, how to implement free education. And the question that is being raised by student leadership is what went wrong between uh, with, uh, the 2017 pronouncement by President uh, Zuma on free education and now, and uh, what went wrong between the increase of VET from 14% to 15% uh, with a justification used as to cover the cost of free education. That is a question that still comes even to this portfolio committee in relation to the question of free education. Uh, student allowances and NSFAS appeals is a matter that is being raised as well. And I think that uh, what is most central to this question is that uh, last year, students, when they started the academic year, they received their allowances immediately. So you start your, your classes today, you receive your book allowance, you receive your meal allowance, you don't face problems of landlords evicting you because you don't have accommodation allowance. But this year, uh, there seem to be a delay in releasing student allowances for qualifying students. So it's an issue that we are raising, that even NSFAS appeals, uh, the dates for responses to NSFAS appeals are not consistent with the closing date for the registration period. And as a result, that the appeals might be answered, but registration will be closed by that time. And that is a problem. Uh, I've already talked about funding for the missing middle, those families whose income is between 350 to 600,000, and uh, they are then excluded from NSFAS funding, at the same time, they still cannot afford uh, for their studies. Uh, the defunding of higher education, I think you have seen it in the budget speech by the Minister of Finance, uh, more than 20 billion uh, being cut uh, in terms of funding for higher education, and also billions being cut from NSFAS. That is an issue that I think we need to lobby the portfolio committee to say, can we stand on the side of higher education to ensure that there is no defunding of higher education? Because once you defund higher education, there are many consequences for that. One of the consequences is the quality of education. One of the consequences is enrollments. One of the consequences is staffing, university staffing, and many other things. Now, I want to move to the second part, which is academic exclusion. Uh, so the, the Senate rules on exclusion, they are still being implemented despite the fact that some students were struggling with connectivity in the 2020 academic year. 
despite the fact that some students were struggling mentally, uh, mental health because of the challenges of COVID-19. And the Stellenbosch University declared that they are not excluding any student academically, students who did not perform well because they understood the challenges. We are calling other universities to also follow suit to ensure that the Senate rules on exclusion at least uh, you know, be put on hold only for the 2020 academic year examinations. Delivery of laptops is an issue we continue to raise, which is affecting students academically because without laptops, but we, have, we are expected to submit assignments, expected to do your work online, attend classes online, it's a problem. It's academic exclusion in itself. And we continue to say, Chair, that the procurement process for laptops was concluded last year. And the promise that was made is on record. There are minutes in many of the addresses that were made and discussions that students will receive laptops before the start of the 2021 academic. Now, the academic year has started. Laptops have not arrived. We, that's why now we are saying students are justified to demand that laptops be delivered. And now, because the academic year has started now, the increase of enrollment quota is very, very important. I'm sure you have seen, even in the presentation by the Vice-Chancellor, that the demand for higher education is very high. Now, to meet that demand, we need to increase enrollment quotas. We need to plan, we need to find a way to ensure that probably some institutions must uh, uh, have a hybrid model of teaching and learning to accommodate many students. Others attend during the day, others attend during the night we can be able to cover this part of increasing enrollment quotas and using many other methodologies that we have in our disposal to share with vice chancellors to ensure that that can be realized without having too much cost incurred. Academic records is an issue that we continue to raise in the issue of certificates. Why? Because, Chair, the student debt that we are raising uh, vice chancellors are saying 7 billion of this debt is owed by people who have graduated already. They left universities. But these people are expected to get jobs. For you to get a job, you must produce a proof that you graduated. Now, you can't produce this proof because universities are saying you must clear your debt first. Now, how do you pay this debt when you don't have a job? For you to get a job, you need an academic record or a certificate. So we are saying to universities, this strategy does not, it does not work. It has proven for the past uh, for many years that it does not work now uh, to ensure, to say, pay your debt for you to get your certificates or academic record. This, let's agree, does not work, this strategy. Give students academic record and certificates, they look for jobs. When they look for jobs, you track them where they are working, and then you ensure that then they can be able to, to cover part of their debt. So we are calling for the release of academic records and certificates. The return of students to campus is what we are also requesting. Particularly, Chair, we have noted that even now registration that is happening online, students who, who come from homes where there is no proper connectivity are already excluded from registration. I've seen one thing that was circulating today on, on ENCA where a student was accepted at one of the universities and this student now was told that must register was the place will be taken and was struggling with connectivity to try to inform the university that I'm struggling to connect to your systems to register. There was no response until they took the place of this student and gave to someone else who was on the waiting list.
Now, now we are saying it's an academic exclusion. They return all the students back to campus so that they are able to register and also to start the academic year. Number six, we're saying no to victimization of student leadership. Very important point because we've seen SRCs being suspended. We've seen uh, student leadership being victimized. And some are even blocked out of the system. They are blocked from registering. Once they suspend you, they block you from registering. Uh, it becomes risky. It becomes a threat to say you are available to lead because your, your academic future is at risk. I think it should not be like that, Chair. Uh, in all honesty, the acceptance to lead students should not lead you to be excluded academically by universities because of your activism. In fact, Chair, if this matter is not addressed, we are going to take measures as South to defend our constituencies with all what we have because it's very painful to see our student leaders. They call every day, they are scared, they are being threatened, they are being isolated. Some of the vice chancellors, they even suspend two SRS members. They just suspend academic officer and sport officer. And then they leave the president, the secretary, and all other SRS members. Now you want to divide student leadership. You target one in order to send a threat to others that I can do the same to you if you continue to hold us accountable. It's not fair. It's unacceptable. It must be condemned. In fact, Chair will request, if possible, the portfolio committee to release a public statement condemning targeting of student leadership especially when they are raising important issues. Number seven, which is the last in terms of these academic exclusion demands, the extension of registration period, which is justified considering that students are struggling to register. Some are still looking for funds to pay registration fee. We need to give them time at least to raise, to be able to register and prepare themselves. So, so these demands uh, financial exclusion and academic exclusion. Now, what is the status quo? I will rush through the current status quo. Part of what is happening currently is police brutality in various institutions. In Bloomfontein, a student was shot yesterday. Uh, in Bramfontein, a student was shot and injured. And I'm sure you know now about the story of uh, um, Togozisi. And uh, many other incidents are happening in various institutions. Number two, Students are protesting peacefully. In fact, we made a call that this protest must be peaceful. Anyone who is violent will disown that person because we want a peaceful protest. And so far, students are adhering to that. SRCs are leading from the front. That's why you had the SRC president of VET saying you want to rush to join the, the picket line because he must be in front and stop students when they want to do things that are outside a peaceful protest. So there is a commitment from all SRCs to ensure that there is no vandalism, there is no damage of property, and all that. And uh, from Monday, Monday, 18 universities joined the protest. Some of them I mentioned, UNISA, UCT, CUT, University of Free State, UNISULU, they joined the protest uh, from Monday uh, in support of the call that we have made. <clears throat> And, and uh, someone will say, it's not all the 26 universities, it's only 18. So your protest is not supported. I heard someone was saying your protest is not supported by students. The fact that 18 joined, it means it's supported. In fact, the others, five universities that are, have not joined, it's uh, TUT, Water Student University, Univen, 
they released the public statements that they support the protest, but they want to finish the academic year 2020, which they are finishing within a week or so, and then they will be joining this protest uh, as well. The other three universities, uh, they indicated that their students are unblocked already, and some of them are studying from home, but they will support the, the shutdown through various other means. So basically all the universities are supporting. It's just that the methodology we're using uh, to protest might be different, but the agenda is one that these demands must be met. So we have written to vice chancellors formally through USAF, encouraging them to cooperate with SRC members in advancing these demands. I can say the vice chancellor of Nelson Mandela University responded positively to this letter. They met with the SRC and released a joint statement between management and SRC, confirming that the issues that are raised by South are genuine issues and confirming measures they are putting in place in campus to see how they can address some of the issues we have raised. I can confirm the CUT, Central University of Technology, Professor Heng, the Vice Chancellor, is engaging with the SRC. They released a public statement to support the issues that were raised as South and outlining the measures they are putting in place to try and address. So we need vice chancellors to be progressive like these vice chancellors I've mentioned. To not see these demands as a problem, but as a platform to start a conversation about how do we ensure that these issues are not recurring issues. Now, Chair, <clears throat> we are organizing another meeting between SRCs and the Minister this coming Sunday, the 21st of March, 2021, to assess progress in terms of various discussions that have been happening during the week and uh, see uh, what becomes the way forward in relation to this demand. But currently, Chair, the national shutdown continues until our demands are met. Now, what is the conclusion? The conclusion and the way forward is straightforward. Uh, there's a need for this portfolio committee to sponsor a motion in parliament on the 13 billion clearance of student debt. We'll be very, we'll be happy, Chair, if this portfolio committee sponsor a motion so that the entire National Assembly debate what must be done on this 13 billion albatross on the neck of students and the universities. <clears throat> We're also concluding that South requests institutions to make concessions regarding 100% clearance of students for registration. If there is a way of convincing vice chancellors, let that way prevail on this matter. We are also concluding that NSFAS speedily resolve matters of appeals, uh, laptops, allowances, and take a closer look at accreditation of student accommodation. It's being raised, CUT, University of Free State Universities are not accrediting, there are challenges there of accreditation, which we request them to go to those institutions and many others and see what can be done to ensure that students don't sleep outside, which will be another crisis. It's not on the demand, but it's something that is coming. Students might sleep outside if the issue of accreditation is not addressed. Now we address this problem, another one starts and it does not assist the sector. We're calling upon the portfolio committee to begin a process to review the policies of higher education that excludes the poor and working class and perhaps consider the need for NSFAS management view. We are also making the 
recommendation chair that perhaps maybe there is no proper higher education policy that addresses this matter so that we hold people accountable when they exclude the poor and the working class uh, from accessing institutions of violence. I, I, I wish to say, Chair, uh, it's not true that uh, the poor students are only those that are on NSFAS. There are some that are not on NSFAS, but they still cannot afford. And higher education has got um, more than 2 million students, and NSFAS covers 700,000 of that 2 million. So we cannot keep quiet about the rest of other students and think that only those are those that are on NSFAS. Because we know that NSFAS does not fund certain qualifications and not all students uh, are accommodated with the funding that is available at NSFAS. We recommend that the portfolio committee work with the minister to call a higher education summit to deeply look at permanent solution to challenges of universities and colleges. It's high time that vice chancellors, student leaders, labor unions, government, private sector, they are put together. And we're thinking, who can put them together? We think that this portfolio committee can put them together under one roof. And we are able to say, how do we confront the elephant in the room to have a permanent solution? Because I can tell you, you can put it on record. There will be another protest next year. We will not be there. Because our term would have ended, the new leaders would be having a, leading another protest on the same issues that we are raising today. So it's better we have a summit, put all the stakeholders together, and see if there can be a way forward on these issues that we are facing in the higher education sector. The same issues were raised last year, they are coming up again this year in terms of financial exclusion and academic exclusion. Lastly, we, we are calling for continuous stakeholder engagements which is encouraged both at campus level and at national level to resolve these uh, issues. On that note, Chair, I want to remind you on what you said when we appeared before this parliament for the first time. You said this parliament is an activist parliament or is going to be an activist parliament. These issues being raised by students are an opportunity to show yourselves as members of parliament on how activist is this committee or is this portfolio committee on higher education? Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, <clears throat> um, the president of uh, the South African Union of Students, uh, Comrade Mugabe. And let's take this opportunity to thank all the presenters from the minister to Yusuf, to Vets, uh, to the SRC, to Saul's. I think we're a bit ambitious when we agreed that uh, we should receive because quite clearly uh, it requires sufficient time uh, to engage with all of them. Uh, we're targeted to finish at one and uh, we're left with about 37 minutes uh, to that. <clears throat> I think we will move until at least around two. Uh, we were supposed to receive a presentation from DSI, but I've asked that arrangements must be made with the Director General uh, that uh, we should postpone that one and find some other day because all these issues are quite... Uh, uh, serious issues that we are dealing with uh, 
we have to give ourselves enough time. Uh, so let's thank everybody <clears throat> who has presented. Uh, I think let's target to finish around two to give members enough time to engage and the responses also. Because it's quite clear that uh, uh, we might, we will need some responses, particularly from Vets University. There were direct issues that were raised with the leadership that we would like to get feedback from there. But if, uh, if one was to categorize the issues, uh, so that uh, we have we have a sort of a guided discussion. I think there are issues that involves uh, students who are eligible and uh, who are supposed to be on the the national student financial aid scheme. <clears throat> uh, those that were not approved, those that made some appeal. I think that is the one set of issues. All those students who fall within the policy of uh, 350,000 per annum. So that is one set of issues. And I think the minister was clear that government policy is quite clear on this issue. Uh, and what has been implemented is government policy. So there's enough money as reprioritized, uh, so that is one issue. <clears throat> and at some point, I think we'd want to have a discussion with the uh, d on the impact of uh, this reallocation, because this is not new money as we know. It's money that had already been allocated to, uh, to the department uh, particularly higher education branch, and there's $3 billion that is coming from the Na National Skills Fund, which we would like to get a discussion on what will be the impact of this. The second set of issues, I think it's around the question of the missing middle, uh, which is much more prevalent and much more pronounced at Vets University. Um, uh, and I guess it's for historic reasons. There is no policy around this issue. Uh, the leadership has submitted of the students, say there's about 6,600 students who are affected by this. There is, as we know, currently the absence of a national plan to deal with that. Uh, <clears throat> The third issue which uh, we need to focus on now and probably put some suggestions both to government and as well as the institutions is the whole question of historic debt of about, uh, it's estimated to be about 14 billion currently. Uh, it is that that is uh, existing, that is growing and uh, it affects the students who are supposed to register and continue with their studies. There's various ways in which institutions treat this matter. I think in VETS, they require about 50% payment of the historic uh, debt. In other institutions, they do allow students to register without 
paying any portion of the debt as they continue to find solution. Yesterday, members, we know that we were with the University of Zululand. Uh, <clears throat> they've got, their fees are, you know, the lowest in the system. Uh, among all the universities, UNIZULU have got the lowest fees, and yet they were able to respond to the challenge and allow the students to register those who have got historic debt. Uh, so in other institutions, uh, it's treated differently, but we do note the discussion between the minister and universities that uh, there must be a certain category of students who should be allowed to register when they've completed an agreements, acknowledgement of debt. I think that uh, <clears throat> probably we may have to urge all the institutions to see, not a certain category, but all the students be allowed to register, especially those who are performing well academically so that they are allowed to be in the system whilst uh, government and institutions are still discussing this issue of historic debt. It's possible a solution may be found. Uh, so in a case where a solution is found, no student should be left outside of the system at the time when the solution is found, so that everybody else should be inside the system. Uh, and I think there's an issue about <clears throat> the raised by Saul's and I think Vets SRC about the victimization of students, uh, which is a matter that needs to be attended to. Um, broadly, those are the, the broad issues uh, which are more around policy. And with the case of NSFAS, it's about efficiency and the manner in which um, appeals gets attended to timelessly. So let's engage uh, members. Uh, I'm going to ask for hands uh, from the members, but I've got some few questions for Vets University. Now, uh, maybe let me just find out from VETS, the, the, the student debt um, that you are having and what is the impact of that in terms of the financial viability of the institution? What is the percentage of the debt of the student uh, in, in relation to the, your overall budget? Um, <clears throat> or your, the, the other debts that you have in the system. What is, what is the proportion of that? Um, what, will be, what will be the impact on the university if you allow all the 6,600 students uh, who are not able to pay the 50% um, portion of the debt for them to register. What are the possibilities of allowing all the students to register so that 
uh, once they are registered, they are in the system. <clears throat> uh, a solution can be found to the issue of of the debt. I think that would be my question for now to Vets University. I think the, the students have raised quite a number of issues which contradict the submissions that we've received from Vets. And so I, I would also like to get some comment from the university as far as that is concerned. But otherwise, let me just open for members. Uh, I see members are not uh, it has been an information overload since nine this morning. So I don't see hand. Uh, maybe let me just say with regards to uh, to Yusuf uh, that <clears throat> I think quite uh, information statistics provided. Uh, but what are the uh, can we ask Mr. Shongwe to mute your mic, please? Uh, you know, there, there's different responses in the system from different universities, uh, vice chancellors and councils. And uh, uh, it's when you evaluate these responses, you would find that even universities where they are not well off, they are flexible enough to accommodate the students to register and to proceed with the academic program. And you find student uh, universities that historically we think they are well off, that there is uh, some degree of rigidity in, in, in dealing with the, some of the student demand, particularly on registering and on this issue of the student debt. Uh, and I want to find out because Yusuf is a, it's a, it's, it's an association of vice chancellors where they regularly meet, they discuss the issues. Uh, what degree of flexibility is there from this uh, association and from the vice chancellors in making sure that we don't find the kind of disruption that we're experiencing currently uh, in the system. That there is some collaboration between them, although we know that there is no national plan, as you said, but these are matters that are, are being raised and continuously engaged with in government. Uh, but why shouldn't why can't we allow that process to continue whilst we lessen the instability in the system and allow the students to register especially those academically deserving and performing very well i see honorable uh, the deputy minister's hand is up and the uh, honorable mukacho you will follow dm Thank you, Chair. Um, yeah, uh, just just in terms of the uh, the extension of the of the meeting, um, which is fine, which is in your discretion. But I think the well, the unfortunate thing is that I I chair the one o'clock meeting, um, and the only other person that's um, expected in that meeting is Professor Bauer um, from USAF. 
the, the rest of the other representatives are not necessarily party to this meeting. So what we could do, because we think it would be unfortunate, um, you know, to, to expect the uh, other stakeholders, the rest of the other stakeholders to, um, you know, to wait for uh, another hour um, that we proceed and then what we'll do on our side, from the department side, we'll ask someone to stay in to give the, uh, the responses that may be required. Um, thank you, Chair. Um, uh, thank you, DM. Um, well, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to put it to the members to give uh, guidance on that. But maybe from my side, I think it will be very, very, very unfortunate that uh, we've convened this meeting against the backdrop of what is happening in the institutions of higher learning across the country. We've had an engagement with the minister this morning. Uh, the minister, for reasons that he explained, and I think he was at pains to say to us, look, <clears throat> I would have wanted to be in this meeting uh, I'm not going to be able to be in this meeting. And we did understand that there is an agent matter that he has to attend to. He said to us, he's leaving us with the deputy minister. Now the deputy minister also has, is going to leave us in this discussion where we have got the parliament members of the portfolio committee. We have got a, a the union that represents all the SRCs in the country. Uh, you've got uh, Yusuf, <clears throat> although it's needed there, but I don't know whether they will remain here or they will also leave this meeting. I, I don't know what that means. What is the message that gets communicated to us? Uh, I will be very disappointed if that is going to be the case because it means that we'll have to terminate the meeting and look for another date uh, where in we can schedule this discussion where the ministry will be available for the engagement because we can't speak alone here. So it is up to your discretion, Deputy Minister, if you still think that you can leave the meeting but I think it would be very, very inappropriate that that is going to be done. Uh, I'm not being unreasonable. I think that in as much as we are asking for flexibility from institutions, uh, that flexibility must also be exercised by the leadership of the department. This is a very important discussion. This is a very important platform of oversight and accountability. And I think it's going to be really a very sad day that we will treat it in the manner that we, it's apparent that we are going to treat this platform. But I will hear from members. Uh, Honorable Mukash and Honorable Boshoff, maybe let's deal with this issue and dispose of it. 
Um, thank you very much, Chair. Um, I, I, I mean, it's 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 a difficult one because I mean we understand that the task team meeting that's sitting now is trying to address uh, the matters on the ground currently and try to ensure that you know uh, expedient intervention is made. But at the same time, we have a responsibility as the portfolio committee to hold um, all the institutions and all the parties that are appearing before the portfolio committee this afternoon accountable. And so, um, and, and, and I mean, it's important for us to have the department here because they also have a responsibility of holding, um, you know, some of the parties who are in this meeting currently uh, accountable as well. So, and they have the executive responsibility of ensuring that the recommendations that are made out of this meeting um, um, find expression and are implemented. So I think, um, I mean, one understands that, you know, officials of the department would remain, but I think in terms of political will, Chair, and, and, and one does not doubt the political will of the Deputy Minister, um, but I think it remains very important that, uh, you know, there is political leadership in the meeting. So I, 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 I what we, I think we genuinely understand um, the importance of the, the following meeting, but one definitely believes that this meeting, I mean, Parliament uh, also needs to be allowed the space to, to play its role as well, Chair. So I, I would appreciate it if the, the DM could find a way to stay in the meeting. Thank you, Chair. Okay, honorable Chair. Thank you very much, Chair. Um, I think uh, um, I, I, I do understand uh, the point that uh, Nto was making, uh, Honorable Mukach was making, but I felt maybe there's still a point that maybe I must make to uh, just one, that, that, that's just one point, uh, Chair, that um, the, the missing middle and, and, and those that are, that are deemed to be rich um, can't say they can afford, uh, or they can only afford to pay uh, for the fees at uh, primary and secondary schools, and they can't afford to pay for tertiary level. I think um, we, we must make a point that they must they must continue to to pay for registration fees. Those ones that can afford. And I think. The minister was, was making this point earlier on that uh, we then make a blanket approach that um, everybody must not pay for registration fees, then our universities are going to collapse. Um, because uh, at least for the first term, um, that is the money they're using for um, at least to have some cash flow. But I think, uh, Chair, that, that is just one point that I wanted to make. Uh, but also, I think we must also make a point to, to Teshar that uh, Teshar must join the party. I mean, the reprioritization now that has been made, uh, you know, for NSFAS uh, will come back to later on in the year uh, and haunt us because that is the money that uh, just reprioritized from the same a budget, which, you know, for me is not solving the problem. Honorable Chairperson. Yeah, uh, 
Well, I was going to come in. I I, I know Honorable Mkasha. Uh, Honorable, let's see, we were on the issue of the Deputy Minister leaving and uh, trying to get a way forward on that issue. We'll still have to come back to the to the actual issues that were raised. Honorable Tsi. Yes, uh, it's 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 fine, Chair. Yeah, we were on whether deciding, uh, and I, I wanted to get the the comments of the members whether do we allow the deputy minister to leave, or we, what what do we do? Because we are faced with a dilemma here. <clears throat> if the minister is not available. And of course, for good reasons that he provided, and then the deputy minister also leaves. I think uh, uh, then we'll have to to terminate the meeting and wait for the day when the ministry is going to be available for this discussion. Uh, I, I I wouldn't be very comfortable this meeting proceeding. Uh, with uh, neither the minister or nor the deputy minister. Uh, I think uh, <clears throat> it's not going to be right. So we're discussing that, Honorable Lizzie. I don't know whether you've got a, a comment to make on that or you, you are ready to engage on the substance of the inputs that were made. <clears throat> yeah, Chair, I was... Um... Um, um going to say all these issues uh, that we we do have uh, requires the political leadership of the of the department to be to be around because um we'll be talking to uh, ourselves uh, trying to come up with solutions and if we don't have a political leadership of the department present then i agree with you that uh, maybe we 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 can we can terminate uh, the meeting and only engage when they are here because, you know, it will not, all of these things uh, that we're, we're going to speak about uh, requires a political leadership of the department to be present and, and provide a direction in that, in that space. So I agree with you, Chair. Okay, Honorable Mananiso and then Mams Beer, and then we determine a way forward. Okay, uh, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, one must say as well, I concur with you that one is that we must uh, persuade the deputy minister to stay. If he cannot stay, then we terminate the meeting. Because I believe that many people who have joined us from this morning in all these social media platforms, they are waiting for us to actually respond to issues that have been discussed in this particular meeting. As these are national importance issues, uh, agendas for this week and before 2021. So if he leaves, then we terminate the meeting. Thank you. Ma'am Subia. Thanks, Chairperson. I'm covered, Chairperson. If the Deputy Minister will won't be available for discussions, it will be unfair to all of us. Let's Support your proposal, Chairperson, to terminate your meeting. Thanks, Chairperson. Okay, DM. Um, thank you, Chairperson. Um, look, firstly, I think um, 
uh, as, as I indicated uh, before, that we um, do take uh, both this meeting uh, and the um, and the meeting after this one uh, uh, very seriously, uh, and I think that's why um, we scheduled the next meeting um, in order to give space for this one to take place. Um, uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, we, um, as I indicated before, um, you know, have. Uh, uh, several stakeholders and participants who are participating in the next meeting, uh, whom we think that, uh, you know, it would equally be unfair. We're dealing with the same issues, um, um, you know, and that we think it would uh, actually be unfair for us to uh, expect uh, them at such short notice to, uh, you know, tell them that we're extending the meeting. Um, I mean, we're postponing the meeting to an hour. The third thing is that the ease uh, there are a series of meetings, uh, even after the task team meeting, uh, whose intention is to try and resolve the same issue. Um, and and the, the portfolio committee, uh, in our view, doesn't have to terminate, uh, doesn't have to end, uh, because as I indicated, we have our acting DDG uh, for universities. Uh, Professor Bauer has indicated that he would stay on in the meeting uh, uh, as he's the only other person other than myself who is expected to be in the TASTI meeting. He will delegate someone else from the university branch to, uh, you know, to participate. Um, but I think if, if the portfolio committee feels strongly that uh, 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 our acting DDG for university uh, is not uh, sufficient to respond to whatever issues that may come out um, in in our absence, then we probably have to find some other time where both I and the minister are available for this engagement. Okay. Um, I think let's, let's determine a way forward. Um, yeah, <clears throat> well, it's a difficult one for me um I've never really presided over a meeting of the portfolio committee where we have to terminate the meeting because um, the minister or the deputy minister is leaving the meeting. I think it's a, it's one of the first there, but there are many firsts that one gets to encounter as we move along. Um, I think this meeting was, uh, was we convened, uh, uh, it was an agent meeting, given the nature of the, the challenges that are faced by the sector. And uh, we did engage with the department uh, the department uh, through the deputy minister indicated that they will be available to make a presentation uh, to the committee. Now, uh, we had scheduled from nine to one, but uh, obviously the kind of stakeholders that we have were not able to finish at one. 
because members will have to engage, come with proposals, get responses, and close the meeting. And so <clears throat> um, the minister is not available, the deputy minister is not available. Um, so we, I do take note that the DDG or the acting DDG is, is, uh, is with us. Tandy is always available uh, to attend our meetings. But the nature of the discussions in this platform requires the presence of the ministry, the minister and the deputy minister because some of these issues are policy issues and policies get determined by the political leadership. The administration is there to implement policy. Uh, so there is a limit to what the DDG can, can go in terms of providing the responses. And I can tell you that uh, some of the stakeholders here, the students, uh, will make a valid point that uh, they elect the political leadership and the political leadership is the one that gets accountable uh, to the nation and not the administrators. The administrators implement policy. And that has always been our view also as the portfolio committee that there are matters which Ordinarily, we can engage with the department officials. There are matters which we always set aside for the political leadership, like this matter, uh, which does not require the administrators. It requires the political leadership. And so it's very unfortunate that we had to terminate the meeting because um, we don't have anybody from the ministry in the meeting. Uh, all what we're asking for was just an additional hour, just one hour to allow us to conclude the meeting. And I'm sure that the other stakeholders would not have mind that there is another hour that is allocated uh, for parliament to engage. We've never discussed this issue ever since the protest started ever since the beginning of the academic year. This is the most, the first time that we've got a substantive discussion on the issues at hand. And so <clears throat> um, we are unable to continue with this discussion because of the absence. But I think we'll have to take it up with the ministry because I, 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 I am very disappointed. I'm extremely disappointed about this thing because it communicates a message that we don't care about the issues that are there that are facing the students. Uh, in campus, everywhere else across the country. And uh, we have got the leadership of the students here. We are here to engage and find solution. Uh, but unfortunately we have to terminate this to another day. Uh, we will follow it up uh, after this meeting and uh, we will uh, schedule a meeting on Tuesday. 
uh, next week. We'll try and get approval. Parliament is rising, is rising this Friday. Uh, we're supposed to go on constituency period, uh, but we will we'll try and get approval and invite all the stakeholders which are here to come and engage with us again on Tuesday. I had thought that uh, the issues that we are dealing with at our level take precedent. Uh, but obviously some of us have been having a very wrong understanding of the role of legislature and parliament. Uh, that we can, we can be treated like this. But it's okay. Uh, I think let's terminate. I see members' uh, hands are up. Uh, is it are these old hands or new hands? Honorable Katra and Honorable. Old hands. Uh, Chair, mine is a new hand. Um, I, I I hope Chair One is not disturbing um, your summary. Um, sorry, my my camera was saying that. Uh, my my connection, my laptop was saying that my connection is weak. Chair, I, I don't know if you can allow us to respond on how you've resolved uh, on how to proceed in this meeting. I hope that's okay with you, Chair. Okay, I thought I was summarizing the, the views, uh, but you can comment. Thank you, Chair. Um, yeah, I think on the earlier round, uh, our views were mainly on whether or not we should proceed. And now that you've Said we're not proceeding. I think it's 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 important that um, we we state as members how we feel on the fact that we cannot proceed. And um, as you've said, Chair, we are not happy with the fact that this meeting cannot proceed. It, it speaks into the challenges we've had in terms of getting to this meeting, Chair. Um, you would know that we had asked, um, and and one is repeating themselves, but I think it's important that we put it on record, Chair, that um, this portfolio committee requested an update from the department on multiple occasions with regards to how we were coping with the 2020 academic year. Um, we also wanted an update on our preparedness and our state of readiness in regards to the 2021 academic year, noting how difficult that year was going to be, this year was going to be chair under these difficult circumstances in which our society exists and under which this sector also has to try to thrive, chair. And um, we had the meeting finally last uh, Wednesday, um, of which did not have the, um, you know, the consistent and full attendance of, of, of the executive chair. Um, and again, this week chair, when now the conversation is escalated because of what is happening on campuses, we again can't have the continuous and full uh, uh, um, attendance and cooperation of the executive chair. And that for me um, is, is highly problematic chair. Um, and and, and it, it just communicates to a level of um, unappreciation or, or a level of not appreciating um, the importance of the role that we have to play as members of parliament. I really chair think I know we've had discussions of how we do feel as though often um, the portfolio committee does not have the space to react uh, proactively to matters that are happening um, uh, on the ground or matters that are happening in the sector chair. And this yet again leaves us um, um, in a position where we're responding or dealing with issues after uh, after the fact. And I think, I mean, as, as, as a portfolio committee that doesn't only concern itself on 
on addressing matters now, but also trying to find sustainable ways going into the future, it, it's okay for us to meet with stakeholders or institutions after a certain um, challenge has a, a challenge has occurred. But it's also very important for us to be able to react as and when issues are burning in the sector. And this again. Um, I, I must reiterate, Chair, really disadvantages the role of the Portfolio Committee in terms of its oversight role. Chair, I, I do hope that we will be able to continue with this meeting um, exigently because the recommendations that must come out of the Portfolio Committee towards um, WITS University and towards the department and NASFAS, um, um, USAF as well, and other stakeholders is very important, Chair, in trying to find some sort of stability in the sector because I really believe that members in this Portfolio Committee across political parties have very innovative recommendations, proactive in, um, recommendations that can really assist in, 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 in us trying to find a way forward in this sector, Chair. So we really um, are, are, are not happy with how we've had to uh, close this meeting. And if there are ways for us to make um, uh, ways for us to meet maybe this week, still looking at Friday perhaps, or early next week, asking um, for, for a concession to be made for us to meet, noting that it would be recess of parliament, I think, Chair, it's important that we do that. Thank you so much, Chair. Okay, thank you very much. <clears throat> um, yeah, um, I really hope that we will come out of this meeting with a way forward for the students who are out there, some of them on the picket line, that uh, we're going to give them some kind of reassurance that their issues are being attended to at this level. Unfortunately, we are not going to do that now uh, because the meeting has to be adjourned until Tuesday. Uh, I was suggesting Tuesday, Honorable Mkacha, because as you know that uh, today is Wednesday, tomorrow in the morning is set aside for all the parties, for their caucuses. In the afternoon, the house is sitting. On Friday, the entire day on Friday has been set aside for, uh, for the plenary, for the house to sit from in the morning, I think from 10 o'clock. We will be processing all the budget, uh, voting on the budget that was tabled by the Minister of Finance. So this week is out. Next week, Monday, is a constituency day. So the only available day is Tuesday. So I think let's agree that we have a, we have a session on Tuesday as agent as this meeting was convened. Um, let's uh, extend our, both our appreciation and I think let's apologize to the stakeholders that we are not able to conclude the discussion uh, and that we will conclude the discussion next week on Tuesday. From our side as parliament, uh, the dialogue, the engagement can still continue outside of parliamentary platform. But uh, we also have to have our own views as as the portfolio committee of parliament. So we're not able to do that for reasons that uh, uh, we all know. Uh, 
So we will we will extend our apologies uh, to all the stakeholders, uh, to yourself. Uh, maybe in the next uh, next Tuesday, the chairperson will join the CEO, and then to the to vets, uh, the chairperson of council, as well as uh, the vice chancellor, and to the student leadership, as well as Saul's, who are not able to proceed. We will be back on Tuesday. I think some of the issues, as I said, we will take them up with the ministry, uh, have a discussion about uh, some of these things and how we should avoid um uh, this time this type of uh, happenings where we are not able to proceed because we don't have the political leadership that is leading the department in the platform uh, under some normal circumstances we were going to proceed but i will feel very comfortable as proceeding in, in this manner I still am very, very disappointed. <clears throat> uh, I think the diminishing stature and role of parliament is uh, it's an issue that we really require a discussion around. Uh, our understanding of what this uh, eminent institution of our people represents and how we should conduct ourselves in relation to our responsibility in accounting to this institution, in allowing this institution to hold us accountable. But I don't want to do that now. For now, I think I'm going to agenda the meeting. I see the DM's hand is up. I think we can take up uh, the discussions outside, outside of here. Let's allow the meeting to come to an end. And let's thank everybody else who has joined us. And uh, we will uh, reconvene this meeting again on Tuesday next week. Thank you all. Thank you for coming. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you, Chairperson. Honorable Bozhov. Yes, Honorable Atia, listening. Yes, I noted uh, your vote yesterday. Uh, I hope you will also support uh, our vote on expropriation of land, my brother. Uh, no, it's always good to. Uh, yeah. I say it's always a good thing to hope. <laughs> 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 uh, you must you must vote for the expropriation of land, uh, and and convince all Freedom Front Plus uh, members to vote for that. It's a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, chap. Okay, bye.
let's see. 